Welcome to Mechanations, a critical analysis and rewatch podcast. I'm Ignis Maddox. I'm Steven Rababa, hero. I'm I'm PMC Trilogy. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) this is a podcast. That's right. (laughs) That's right. Uh, this podcast reflects my retaliatory intentions <laughs> against Steven Hero. The attacks by the five Gundams sent out by the space colonies reflected their retaliatory intentions. Did we did we want to talk about uh, some of our Left Alive thoughts, our our dead thoughts about Left Alive? So I spent some time watching. They they put out two videos. Squeenix loves 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 these videos. First, why don't of, you give us your front mission history? I think that would be oh apropos. front mission history. Yeah, sure. So my front mission history really uh, the primary text is front mission three. I had uh-huh. discovered that it was a game that didn't have it didn't have a jewel case in GameStop. It's true, it didn't. It it just it was there very by understated cover with the ones. Yeah, I and but like I wanted mechs. I had already been in the Armored Core at the time, and I already knew about Square RPGs, Square Soft RPGs, and I said, "Ho, oh, it's a game that has." My body still reacts to the name Square Soft. Right, like, right. Just tingles. Ooh, yeah, in anticipation. I know. It's two thousand all over again. <laughs> uh, but you know, I was like, okay, this is no brainer, right? Mechs like Armored Core. RPG Square Soft. Let's, let's do, do it, and it was great. And I, I did, I did the Emma story then, uh, and really, really enjoyed it. And then f- I never really came back to it after that for a long time. I played more Armored Core games mm-hmm. after that. I would play some other mech games, but it took a long time for me to get back to it. What really actually got me back to it was uh, the second time I went to Magfest in the oh, console oh. free play area. So this would be like 2013. Mm-hmm. In the console free play area, they had just front mission three sitting there and i was tired of walking around it was probably like late afternoon or something when you start really kind of hitting that uh that first real tired period of your con day of course yeah and i was like oh it's front mission three let me just sit down and do this and i sat down probably played it for like three hours my buddy calveth oh, wow my buddy calveth was like uh where 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 the fuck are you yeah i was like oh sorry bro i just fell in a front mission three sized hole i have never went to a convention spent that long at a free play well you know it just, no one was playing yeah it, i mean and it was props. it's a good game so I, uh, you know, I, I played it for a bit, and then I came back to my apartment and uh, got a ROM or whatever from Mission Three. Played through the whole Elisa story. If you remember, from Mission Three has these two mm-hmm. stories that you can do that branch off for like a totally random choice early in the game. Uh, did the Elisa story? Really enjoyed it. Uh, then I also did on emulator the Front Gosh. Mission Front Mission <laughs> DS, mm-hmm. uh, which was incredible. Really, really good. I'm planning to go through that this year sometime. My, I absolutely recommend not only doing the base game, but also they include a second story as a part of the DS mm. remake. Absolutely worth playing. Oh, like Phoenix Wright. Yeah. So basically, you get you get to see the story from a different perspective. Mm. And I think it also, you know, if you were going to play more Front Mission games, I think some of the remake content does tie into some of the other four and five. At this point, if I went back, assuming there are no new games from here on out, I only really want to go back to Scars of War and the DS game. I mean, I, yeah, I think at this point, I'm I am going to try a fan translation of 2 at some point because I hear 2 has some of the best writing, mm-hmm. but that the gameplay is very... Uh, tedious? Tr- tedious, mm-hmm. slow. Uh, and then I heard... Four has a one thread that is good, even though some of the other stuff doesn't work so I well. I bought and owned and played four. I enjoyed mm. it. Yeah. 
But five, five is I, I don't know. Five to me is interesting, especially I, I really didn't know much about it before. There was an article this week in Waypoint in regards to the tying together the whole Front Mission series in mm-hmm. advance of Left Alive, and that article kind of talked about how five ties together a lot of the threads of the previous four uh, Front Mission mainline. I think games. the Front Mission, the core Front Mission team, envisioned five to be a concluding chapter. Right, and I, I think that's right. Although uh, certainly the author of the article was a little skeptical of where where it had concluded. It really begs the question: What is Square Enix's plan with? left alive because Japanese companies are very they're protective of their properties but when a creator leaves the company they tend to be very hands off of the property like take Capcom and Inafune when Inafune left the company Capcom did not touch Mega Man for years at that point now of course now we have Mega Man 11 the front mission team a lot of the main players they're gone from Square Enix you know I don't know how many years since 5 let's you know 8, 9, 10 years since 5 and they decide to revisit it with this very low-budget Gaiden, it seems like. I'm just curious what's the end game because I really don't envision a Front Mission 6 because, to be honest, even looking at numbers, it would have been financially wiser to simply fund a Front Mission 6 or a Front Mission strategy game for the Switch, for example, than Left Alive, I'd imagine, right? Well, so the the one thing I want to, b- before you, you answer your question, the, the one thing I would say about uh, Capcom and Inafune is that that particular situation was messy. Yes, and, it certainly was more public. And Well, and not only that, but there was definitely a, a, a pretty, I would call, a, a grudge against mm. uh, at least Mega Man when it comes to Inafune and how he did his particular uh, Duke out sort of like escape from Capcom and his attempt to sort of like find riches as like an idea man. But I, and, I'm, and who knows when it comes to the front mission creatives, like if it, that was, it's, it's probably not the same situation at all, but I could... I, it wouldn't surprise me if if that's part of what it like. Mm-hmm. Part of what fuels that is a sort of hesitance to enter text into a work that isn't that like not even a, a hesitance like oh I don't want to besmirch this property as much as it's just like you know uh, there is a some of this property seems rather cordoned off though even take like look at the Chrono series right I mean, you could do even do a simple Chrono Trigger port you'd make bank probably for the money put in but. Well, I wonder if they're just ultra sensitive to the the market not ref, like respecting anything changing the original work. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like like there's there seems to be in Japanese markets like a real sensitivity to and and here too, but it's I don't think it's as pronounced um of oh, like no way. Yeah, I agree. Like like direct adaptation it has to be the most direct possible. Mm-hmm. And and like so I can see them being like, well, we can make a Mega Man. We understand that Mega Man involves jumping and shooting um but if we make it and release it and the audience that's used to jumping and shooting coming out and feeling a specific way like notices that whatever inafune was fucking doing is missing but anyway yeah to to what would what was to his question of like uh what do you think the goal is with left alive i think or could just be a one-off passion project yeah i mean to me left alive especially watching footage of it and hearing the director talk about it to me it's it looks like uh, some people who got spun off of other studios had a pitch for a game, and they're like, "All right, well, this is kind of Metal Gear adjacent. This is kind of you know some other things adjacent. We haven't been doing anything with this. We're not going to call it Front Mission, maybe for the reasons you guys just discussed. It'll be Front Mission adjacent, right? And that's what it, that's what it smells like to me. It's like they just had 
these folks around and they just wanted to see if it would spark magic and looks like the answer is going to be no uh based on the the early uh uh the the response in in the jp market it's releasing a week ahead in uh in japan than in the, the north america so but i i don't know i think the other part of it for me too and maybe you guys can refresh my memory um mm. uh, Two questions. When's the last time a Square Enix uh, studio developed a grid-based strategy RPG? When's the last time they published a grid-based strategy RPG? Is that Final Fantasy Tactics Advance 2 for the DS, I believe? Uh, Well, I think maybe published might be the 2010 Tactics Ogre re-release for PSP. That oh, was a late PSP release. I was cur- I was gonna say. I believe you are correct. I was gonna say but that developed. I don't know. Yeah, my- <laughs> you know, Square Enix abandoned the genre, which is why I have not been holding my breath even one second that we would get, you know, another Final Fantasy Tactics. They're sitting on a pile mission. of money for that. You put that on Steam with the patches and yeah. make sure it runs better. Yeah, a million. Oh copies. yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean that, that right. The Final Fantasy Tactics port. Everyone's been saying for years. Why isn't Tactics on Steam? I mean that's that's one thing. Is this an ego thing? Is that why? Is it or who's no. the it it uh, who's the guy I'm thinking Matsuno? of? Matsuno. Matsuno. Is this a Matsuno thing? Maybe I don't know. I that's one thing I don't I don't understand. I, my my honestly, I had such a big hope that after like Kingdom Battle was an overwhelming success, Wargroove seems to be very successful. I'm hoping that people will be like, okay, like this isn't going to be you know a gangbusters kind of situation in terms of a release. But Square Enix, it's okay. You can do it again. You can make one of these games. Make it from Mission. Make it FFT. You can make it as goofy as you want. I don't care. Just just do it, just, okay? <laughs> I, they put the work in for the iOS port of Final Fantasy Tactics. I do not want to use a touchpad. I want to use a controller. That's all I need. Right. I mean, you, I mean well, I'm going to push up my glasses. Oh, my gosh. You could get a controller for iOS, but no one wants to have an iPhone anyway. It's fine. I'm not judging you because I never want to play a game You have to drop a mortgage on that. It's like 150 or mean, these are like 125 I, Yeah, well, you know, the second mortgage will be easy for me, right? <laughs> so, so do you feel like, you, do you get the impression that, that Square, especially keeping in mind that it has its that currently unheard of deal with, with Marvel to produce like Marvel games and whatnot. Wait, what Square Enix Marvel? What they have? A, it's Idos Montreal. They have, I believe, it's Idos Montreal. They have the Avengers, the unannounced Avengers, the unannounced yeah, announced Avengers that's game. Been an, like for three years, that's favorite. Well, well, now Wave. it's not favorite. It's, it's be, now they're waiting for the the last Avengers film to drop. Yeah. So, yeah. Do, do you feel like Square is of the opinion now, like with Kingdom Hearts three and Final Fantasy fifteen, um, and and I got the impression from this, like they want to release like only like blockbusters like that's it that's all they want to do and then re-release final fantasies like that like something that that like ah, man i can't talk about this actually because i Uh, guess it's a kingdom hearts 3 spoiler i guess thanks spoiler boy yeah fucking a um the the, like you know they did announce kingdom hearts 3 is going to have dlc and and i have very specific hopes about what those dlc are going to be but it has nothing to do with plot like a lot of people are talking about like oh i want more details about the plot and it's like there's there's one particular aspect that I would like to see more of, but again, I have to fucking drive around these spoiler traffic cones. What, so I, what won't I won't be able to know. What, what I it want is. is to have like Sora and Donald and Goofy just transplant transplant them into the Leviathan DLC for Mass Effect Three, <laughs> and have that be with no further explanation. <laughs> I would love that just, a lot. Just do that. Actually, It'll be fine. Well, so you know, it just I I just wonder now if if they're not interested in 
making a well i guess octopath traveler is the is the counter to that though right. octopath is they like, have three they have 11 i believe internal business divisions they mm-hmm. refer to them as yeah, so yeah. game development studios right. within right and was octopath successful yes it was okay yeah. 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 I think people okay. liked it. Okay. I imagine Octopath 2 is being fast-tracked. Look, make make a game that's a strategy RPG that looks like Octopath. Oh, yeah. I'm sold. You mm-hmm. could put those Bravely Default fuckers on there, and they could come up with something. No, no. Let's keep them away. Well, they're the I guys who made Octopath. <laughs> that's the same guys. I know. I know. They just Their games are so grindy. I agree. I, 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 uh, look, I just get someone else. They're, <laughs> they're so fun to play. Mechanically, very satisfying. They're like so fun for the first 10 hours. Yes. Because, like, oh, these mechanics are cool. Well, that's the only part of the games they make, is the first 10 hours. Right. And then they just make them over and right. over again. Folks, if you, if you get, like, like chapter three of the first Bravely Default, just set it down and be like, "Wow, this was super fun." Yeah, and walk away. And walk away because the be, game's done now. The game's done. The game ended. I completely um, agree. It's it, you know I I agree. You know, having said that out loud with Octopath Traveler, because what I was going to say yes. was maybe these this is just not going to happen anymore. Like maybe like at least on on a a, a release that we would as like hobbyists who mm. largely play video games yeah. would, would prefer like you know on our platform of choice whether that's pc or playstation 4 or switch or what have you i mean switch to me seems like yeah a no-brainer yeah just the the strategy rpg machine like right, why right. fucking not like yeah. just whatever yeah. one you've got just throw it on there just make a spinoff for switch and call it fellow traveler <laughs> oh, there you go. Ah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you, you know, uh, off mic. You Hopefully, were... Square Enix is listening, right? Yeah, <laughs> no, I know they listen to Mechanation. <laughs> that's so. right. That's right. Um, off mic, you were talking about how you um, watched a little bit of director's commentary. Was there anything that he said there that was interesting to you regarding the game? I wish so, I could pronounce his name, but he has a storied uh, resume. Oh, he does. Okay, so I, mean, I, I didn't look up any of his. Any He's of his a past from, work. some fr- from software guy. A lot okay. of Armored Core games. Mm-hmm. A supervisor and producer. He worked on. He was one of the planners on Lost Kingdom. If you remember that GameCube, uh, oh yeah, hard based yeah, yeah. RPG. Right, yeah, right, cool. right, yes, yes. Scriptwriter on Dark Souls Two, and uh, nothing to sneeze at. He worked no, on quality assurance on Tenchu. Oh hey, hey! I deeply respect this, and a lot of you know Echo Knight things like that. So okay, that's cool. He was that's poached cool. from uh, from software. Yeah, I mean, so the the biggest things I would say uh, in the video, he very much goes out of his way to explain that you have the city map, and generally speaking, you're Is, pro- it was an Eastern European city. It looks like yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and then you have sort of different ways you know to navigate different approaches. Uh, and then you also have encounters with civilians. You have to save them because you're trying to get get out of the city, right? right? So you have you have, yeah you have opportunities to save civilians because you're trying to get out of the city and you're also trying to help other people get out of the city. Uh, the the one they chose to demo was kind of interesting because the player character ends up failing the civilian encounter, mm-hmm. and the outcome of the failure is that the civilian uh, in front of you commits suicide by gunshot. Oh. And I was like, well, this is a downer. This person oh. isn't left alive anymore. No. Um, like, I mean, you know, so it's serious topics. Weird choice to include in a demo, you know, but to me, I think... Left Alive would have been a perfect demo game to, you know, garner some interest. Right. I'm trying to think, what Square Enix game would I have attached left, the Left Alive demo to? Or maybe it's reverse. You yeah, release no. Left Alive yeah, and le- you attach a demo that's right. to it. Then you attach a demo... Of, I don't know. What's the next Square Enix blockbuster game? Dragon Quest game? Builders too. Yeah, Dragon but- Quest Builders <laughs> too. Right. Perfect. I mean, that'll grease the wheels. Just, just combine those two games together. You know, mm-hmm. just Left Alive, but Dragon Quest Builders. Graphics. I would love to see a Left Alive crossover with Silent Hill. You're stuck in the oh, city, yeah. trying to escape 
Wanzers, but also your own inner demons. Right. Well, so something that I was ever since we we started hearing about this this survival horror mech game, I, it it occurred to me, and, and you know, maybe we can't answer this until it's out, and then we we see what it form it yeah, takes. Yeah. Because uh, I was going to ask, what does that look like? Because I would. Our ideal crossover? Well, no. What I'm saying is that I don't necessarily understand how you combine the elements of survival horror with mech. I think... So the thing that was... The thing that to me that they most left out of the demo... In the demo, they did... Uh, and specifically with the director commentary, they showed off a portion of gameplay where, again, the one of the characters is able to hijack a Wanzer and then... The, the director is like, oh, yeah, now you can just mow people down, and then you can fight other Wanzers, and other Wanzers drop weapons that you can then also pick up. And so the the thing that he didn't answer for me was I feel like usually in it, – it's a thing to me in survival horror games that sometimes for a short duration – you're able to sort of strike back at the horror, sure, right? You have sure. that action movie sequence where you're on the you're on the gun and you're just firing away. Or, oh yeah, you know something like that. And the Wanzer is a great, I think, a great example of that. It was weird to me that he presented sort of the Wanzer's own flow of prolonging its gameplay because my expectation was like, oh, now the Wanzer is going to have a, a self destruct timer because you're not the recognized pilot or. The Wanzer has a limited amount of fuel, and you can't refuel because you're in, in a city that's been occupied. Or, right. And, and that's probably still there. Yeah, I, I would imagine. Uh, I would assume because otherwise – you also, the other thing I'm thinking about too is I have a mild interest in this game as being a, a game that's just coming out mm-hmm. that has a lot of features that might not get that many patches. <laughs> um Potential speedrunning target. Oh, sure. Uh, sure and sure. so, you know, certainly, uh, you know, is is the route going to be, I go to the nearest Wanzer, I get in it, and I punch a hole to the end. Right. Right? I mean, yeah. You know, like, yep. is that, is that going to happen? It. You did it. That's the route. Uh, you know, so. <laughs> and I think you, you touched upon, like, my main concern, which is that mechs are, you know, with, with some notable exceptions, uh, they're, they're stand-ins for empowerment of some kind. Like, it, you know, whether it's the, some kind of outside force or, like, we've taken to con the Gundams and Gundam Wings, like, Death God machines. And and to put your, your player character in a situation where they can step into a, you know, a, a super mech suit, it seems like the opposite. Of, it's like, oh, well, I survive. Look at, <laughs> I, I fucking made it. And, to, and, you know, obviously specifics will come into play there. You know what I mean? Right, like, right. There could be, mm, you know, too many monsters to fight. There could be, uh, you know, enemy weapon of some other kind. Right. Blah, blah, blah. We don't really know. And also the other thing, too, is that, I mean, the game does have, like, three characters. Most of the, uh, the, the videos that I watched in terms of, like, the 14-minute gameplay preview or the director commentary preview, they focused on the character who is a soldier of the city. Mm. Whereas I think the like another character is like a rebel, <laughs> and then another character is a uh, maybe a like a part or used to be a part of the invading force or something. Sure. I, she had a long cutscene with some some jerk, and the jerk was like, "Oh, by the way, there are dudes outside. They're going to shoot you now." And you're like, "Oh, you have to escape the building." And, and I mean, there's been a lot of commentary about how things look stiff and the shooting looks stiff and things like that. I think a lot of people have compared how it looks to Alpha Protocol. Which oh, is well, uh, mm, not well, a finished video game. No, yes. It's interesting ideas, not a finished video game. 
We'll see. Uh, we're gonna we're a gonna find poor, out. Poor, poor, poor man's version of MGS Five. That's right. what it looks like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. It has a lot of the UI, the the hold down, the, and the circle goes around the button, the white button. Mm-hmm. You know, very much uh, looking MGS at, looking. Looking at the footage. All right, so we have a passion project here. I would love it if they infused this city with a lot of life and personality. I know it's under siege; it's a war zone. Mm-hmm. But I wish. Looking at it, looks of course it looks drab, but especially some of the interior buildings that people have lived here for a long time. That's this is a good opportunity to flex those creative muscles, and I do not see that at all. It looks like an extremely rote and humdrum town. Yeah, I think the, the thing I'm most curious to answer, and I think this is maybe something we'll probably come back to in like in two pods, is uh, the the waypoint article that we mentioned earlier discussed the idea that maybe. Maybe the the sort of thrill of the political thriller nature of the Front Mission series has sort of passed us by because it feels too much like real life, and so I'm very very curious to to sort of see what the setup is for this, uh, and see, you know, to what extent are the writers speculating about the future? To what extent are they trying to mirror current conflicts? For example, uh, a lot of people thought that the setup for this game appears to be mimicking the Russian annexation of Crimea. Ah, uh, so that's you know. So, what extent are we just going to play off real life themes without actually saying like this is you know our terrible, dark, depressing future? Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, it's something I hope to answer. I'm just asking that question now. You know, we we might revisit it. I feel like this was something that that could have made uh, interesting OVA or yeah. or film. Or, or I don't know if if the people who uh, like it kind of almost strikes me as like sunk cost fallacy the game a little bit yeah. where I, I don't I think they they had this idea and then they started to make it manifest and, I, and and it didn't occur deep enough until deep enough in the process that maybe treating the the Wanzers as a big gun in a Resident Evil type of game will diminish both things mm-hmm. you know the Wanzers and the like and, and I just wonder how that gameplay loop will be like satisfying in a world where you're not uh cultivating you know like i i just don't know what you go for in that game but you know we'll see we'll see when it comes out and and clearly i can't be trusted (laughs) when it comes to uh 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 making these sorts of decisions for games because fellas i've been i've been ruminating i've been struggling i've been considering you're on your own with this one, but no, yeah, I'm not helping you here. No, that's fair. That's fair. I, no, no one can help me. No matter how much Troa likes javelins, javelins. <laughs> I, I mean, only De- only Capcom and Devil May Cry Five can save me, apparently, because uh, I've been I've been deeply considering jumping into Anthem. Gotta let it out. Gotta let, let it out. out. Mm. Uh, EA's latest <laughs> uh, foray into the live services uh, 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 you know market for video games you know your destinies your i guess fallout 76 is one of these um i don't know man uh all the all the all the producers and the big publishers are are forcing these poor poor development studios to do online games and i feel bad for them so anthem is a if you are not someone who's keeping up is is a third person loot based shooter which is a bunch of words that that <laughs> like like just sort of tumble out of my mouth in, in a shameful way. Um, but if you if you check it out it visually, it looks pretty yeah, interesting. Visually, it looks good. Yeah, I the movement seems great. The aesthetic of of the design of the the suits, I I, I wouldn't call them. 
I mean, this is one of those things maybe we'll talk about someday, but they remind me more of, of uh, uh, exosuits mm-hmm. rather than a what I would call strictly a mech. You know, a lot of people compare them to Iron Man suits, and I would agree. I think that's what they're going for. Yeah. Um, and And reports say that the gameplay itself under the very right specific circumstances is satisfying. And it looks like if you watch, if you've seen any videos, if you've played any of Bioware's uh, Mass Effect or Dragon Age Inquisition, especially, it actually looks like it just looks, it looks like that. Mm -hmm. Even the the combo system that I've heard about, it seems to function the same way that Bioware games do, where you set up some kind of primer spell, and then someone has a spell that interacts with that to create some kind of increased effect. Not that complicated, but you know, in a party of four, I could see that. It doesn't look like it's a very good video game right now. <laughs> it looks like right now it is not a very good video game, but I've been struggling because I'm a big Bioware head. I'm concerned because it seems like it's not selling well. I haven't really looked at the strict numbers. I'm sure you guys haven't really, because I don't think either of you are, are like, when as soon as it's online only, a PMC trilogy goes out the window. He just leaps out as soon as he can. Which is fair. I think we're all equally worried that Papa EA is going to take Bioware behind the shed. Well, so, I mean, I am. I'm concerned about that. But I, I will say that EA, I believe the, the the studio that made this, the Bioware studio that made this, is the one that is in Canada. You know offhand how many studios Bioware has? I only, I think it There's one in Texas. Is there one in Texas? Yes, it's Bioware, Austin. There's a Canadian one. Canada is what I'm saying here. I'm, I'm saying it bad on purpose, everyone. I promise. And the... <laughs> Um, and I believe there was a third one that got closed down. Mm-hmm. I do not remember. I believe oh, was that the Andromeda one. I believe that was the Andromeda okay. one. Um, the uh, I could be incorrect here, but I uh, what I have read is that the the Canadian one is just generally less in danger than other studios have been because of certain tax laws in can- Canada, which makes individual employees less expensive than they were in other situations money is dumb everyone like money and the different ways that different areas decide to handle money is very dumb and i will straight up i'll be honest about not really being thoroughly informed on the specifics there but apparently in general you can you can rest assured that that bioware is probably not in the same straits as Oh gosh, what was uh what, what other fucking companies has EA gobbled Maxis. up? Maxis, pandemic, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Westwood. Um, it's it seems like from what I've read, because a lot of people are concerned about this, right? Like people feel strongly about the bio. I'm concerned things. about talent leaving as well. Same with Blizzard, for example. Blizzard's right. not being shut. I mean, that's down, what but... really precipitates these things too. Is that you know when I, I like to play a lot of weird old games, and I'll read about the studios that made these games and how they often ended up. Uh, like Zipper Interactive made one of my all-time favorite PC games, Recoil, and then for years they made the SOCOM games, and then they were bought by Sony because SOCOM was a big thing on the PlayStation. Yeah. And then eventually, by the time they made the last SOCOM Navy SEALs game for like PSP in the late 2000s, really all the people that were really, truly Zipper Interactive, they'd been gone for years, right? right? You right. know, it was not the same studio. And that's you know often the case with a lot of these companies. And so I think that's, you know, t- I think what you said is the almost the bigger concern than necessarily ea dissolving bioware their ips are too valuable to buy i mean to yeah. ea now right well i mean something that's that's curious to me is is that reports of of bioware really wanting to to make kotor like that like when when ea acquired exclusive rights to create 
Oh yeah, Star Wars games. That would, uh, that's I feel like that would make a lot of sense. Well, I mean, yeah, that, uh, that's kind of what I was getting. Yeah, was yeah, like yeah. I don't because apparently EA literally will not let them. <laughs> apparently, the, the like the Bioware wanted to do it. I'm not saying that there was a meeting where they went to yeah. like the, like the giant EA demon and they flipped asked, the table. Yeah, they asked this demon, like, can we please make a video game in our wheelhouse that will probably be lucrative? And, and the demon, like, you know, ate that messenger. And- he, he's like, actually, when I said that I bought the Star Wars video game rights, I actually bought the Star Wars video game wrongs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, I mean, that was, you know, like, and it, we can go into everything terrible sure, happening sure, with sure. Star Wars video games. Yeah. Um, but it, it's just curious to to be to see Anthem now. And to hear that story and to kind of put together, it's like, uh, wait, <laughs> so this is what you wanted them to do? It's especially weird after Ape Legs, but like... Well, it, those the, the Ape Legs boys are going to, are segueing immediately into a Star Wars game. Right, right. In two yeah. months, we're going to get... Fallen Jedi. Yeah, I mean, that's that's, oh, that's right. outside our lo- of our scope, really, but... N- no, I mean, um, until, I, I mean, you don't know, maybe... Yeah, maybe, yeah, This yeah. is the time. I mean, they're right. all the Tartan Titanfall people. Maybe yeah, this yeah. is their big, like, addition to the Star Wars mythos is like mechs they're like droids but you're riding them if 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 (laughs) anthem is not selling well and they they start discounting it heavily do they have to rename it song because they'll be selling it for a song (laughs) that's a good meme there you should package um yeah i'm here for you well so i feel like the inevitable like sort of like path these these uh they have their 90 day rollout i'm curious don't you mean roadmap roadmap yeah roadmap roadmap is a term i'm seeing a lot now after those 90 days i'm curious just how diligently or if at all EA and by proxy Bioware support the game. I need like a poet or a painter or someone to talk about their roadmap now. <laughs> Just like find someone current. Like here's the ninety days. I'm, I'm gonna call up NK Jemison and be like, Hey NK, I know you're I know you're big into games and good science fiction. She's a big Mass Effect fan. She wrote that yeah. novel. Can can you tell me about your ninety day roadmap for doing New York Times book reviews? Oh, well, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of those would be like sleep too much, sleep yeah. too much, you know, procrastinate, write one sentence, curse the world, gripped by know. existential dread. Yeah, exactly. Read up on other things not related to the thing you're about to write yeah. on, so that you can regenerate. Sort of like the actual creative process. Like that's why whenever I, I see those. Like, um, oh, you know, real productive people wake up at four a.m. and it's just like. No, <laughs> no, it's not true. Fuck off. Lies. Um, I guess uh, since we're talking ta- about real productive people, do we want to talk about our favorite <laughs> real productive person? Oh, Lady Un? <laughs> or like, well, I mean, fucking anybody. In I was, I was show? gonna say, yeah, I was gonna say, uh, I was gonna say Trey's. Oh yeah, he actually is productive. Trey's to I. Okay, so folks, uh, we're gonna I think move into our yeah. Let's transition yeah, into let's transition. the show. That's the reason I can trust you with anything. Milliardo Peacecraft. That name. Please don't. Before I get into the, the, the trace statement that I was going to make, uh, Mr. Stephen Hero, would you like to tell us about episodes 10 and 11? Definitely, definitely. So hold on here a minute. I woke up at 4 a.m. to write these synopses. Can wow, I, so productive. <laughs> can I hit you with the, uh, obviously we have the English title, which is uh, Hero Distracted by Defeat. Yeah, but hero, can I, hero Dead by Daylight. Can I, <laughs> can I hit you with the, uh, the uh, Hong Kong subtitles translation? Yeah. Of- <laughs> Please, no. Go for it. Uh, hero Blasted into Pieces. <laughs> oh, that's much better. <laughs> I have some issues with the title, like every episode. <laughs> Holy shit! That's what we- yeah. 
Because I mean, let's get, can we talk about on the top that Hiro is not distracted At by all. defeat in this yeah. in this episode? No, he looks that sucker straight in the eyes. <laughs> no, he does exactly what he means to do. Yeah. but yeah. I guess I guess Stephen, I I didn't mean to cut you off. All right, so I tried to inject as many jokes as possible. I know that's our tradition now, but we'll see how I do. So Trey's and Lady Oon arrive in the newly captured capital of the Sank Kingdom. Apparently, everyone got the invite to wear dope as fuck shoulder capes, except Un, who makes her displeasure known. <laughs> Un orders Zex and Noin to help transfer a batch of Taurus mobile suits to a base up north to equip them with some state-of-the-art technology that I'm sure will only temporarily impede the Gundams as the plot sees fit. The Gundam pilots, excluding Sad Boy Wufei, receive orders to intercept. As expected, the boys make short work of the accompanying Oz mobile suits. But before they can complete their mission, Un announces that she's holding the space colonies hostage. Dr. J, who up until now stayed in the shadows, opens communication with Un to broker some sort of deal. He's willing to surrender, but he's not willing to turn over the Gundams, at which point Hero dramatically detonates Wing Zero, destroying the suit and possibly killing himself in the process. All right, my, my, my number 11 is well, a little more I, joking. I have to push on my glasses here at you. Technically, the Gundam's only Wing at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not oh, Wing Zero. Oh, my bad. Wow, we're going to have to kick you off the podcast now. Now, edit now. that out. Sorry. Bleep that out. Yeah. <laughs> Bleep that out. Put in, I'll just put in a big foghorn over it. I think I'll make it up for this one. Gundam Wing, episode 11, The Whereabouts of Happiness. In the wake of Hero's actions, Catra, Duo, Troa, and the Maguanak Corps decide to get the hell out of Dodge. <laughs> they think it's time to blow this scene, get everyone and the stuff together. Okay, trays, duo, un, let's roll. No. All right, I have here pause for three seconds to process. Okay, so Catra, duo, and the Maguanox join forces and make for a secret base in the Middle East. They're greeted upon their arrival as heroes. Duo learns that the Maguanak Corps represent a group of Middle Eastern revolutionaries whose mission is to challenge and one day overthrow the tyrannical oppression of the UESA and Oz. Meanwhile, in Moscow, Relina attends a ball where she meets Lady Un. She forgot to shower that morning, but that's okay, but she plans to bathe in the fresh blood of Oz and so opens fire on Un to avenge the death of her father. Back on Earth, Oz surrounds the Magwanok base and prepare their attack. Rashid's forces, knowing full well they might be going to their death, provide cover fire so that Katra and Duo can make their escape and live to fight another day. All right, that's what I got. <laughs> no, that's that's. Uh, I'll take that. I'll I really that. enjoyed your uh, um, uh, tank joke. That was pretty. Good. I started with that, and then I had fuck. I had like five more paragraphs. A thing I enjoy in. in I fic- should self detonate yeah, after making probably. that a wing zero mistake. Yeah. Though I apologize. In fiction, I very much enjoy when a character says something about another character, but like one hundred percent, the statement tells you more about that character yes. than the other character. Trey's uh, talks a bit about how much he loves Zex and Tall Geese. And really, this isn't really about Zex and Tall Geese. It's how much Zex and Tall Geese fit into Trey's vision for future, the future in warfare. Well, I, I, I agree with you. Um, I think also that, that Lady Un is constantly doing this. Like, she's constantly making a comment that she thinks is something that's just generally true, and it's just revealing more about her and but the fucked up thing is that everyone around her ignores her when she does this specifically trays yeah um i i do want to compliment you on bringing up the shoulder capes because it was the first thing i noticed Holy shit. i had to look up yeah. the, the actual article of clothing it's called a cavalier shoulder cape in case anyone is in the market 
for one. Well, is it is it cavalier just because of how you have it placed in your body? I think like, so. It's very in many cavalier, very manner. aristocratic. Yeah. So um, we're still before we, you know, I, I don't want to touch on it too long, but we're still using the retaliatory intentions. In oh yeah, narration, yeah. The narration's the same, which sucks. Trey's is very jealous of Zex and the tall geese. I think there's something. Trey's can probably appreciate the imagery of someone like Zex piloting something like the tall geese. And also, the tall geese is dope looking. Like, let's let's not, you know, let's give credit where credit is due. The every, tall geese is awesome. Every time they drop the tall geese out of out of a plane, and it does that little like flip where it crosses its legs a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, so it's good every time. Well, I mean, it always <laughs> seems like they liked the tall geese more than the Gundams because the tall geese so far has had like the best action scenes. But Trey's, I, I have a note here. Trey's is jealous of Zex. And Un is jealous of Zex also <laughs> because Trey's is immediately complimentary of him and it really pisses Un off. She, she is not happy. She is, Un is really mad about Trey's being actually kind of a decent leader, like, or at least insofar as like giving credit where credit is due. Because he is also, he's also like, Noin, I've heard you've done good work, even though we, the audience, have not seen any of that good work. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, I think we saw a little bit in those various scenes where they were doing the coup. You're right. No, that's a good point. She was doing yeah. good at at um, re- uh, revolution in service of rich people. So good, o- good job, yeah. uh, Noin. Uh, here we get to see, despite like, I want to say like the last two episodes giving us ample evidence that Lady Un should be reeled in. That someone who yeah. poss- probably has the responsibility over someone like her should probably take her aside and explain more than you should learn more about the Oz organization. She needs to be prosecuted as a war criminal. <laughs> <yes, no. laughs> I will, well, that is my note later. Yeah. We'll get to it. Tra- it- I'm, not re- I'm, not untra- I'm not standing for Trace here, but please, reel her in. <laughs> I mean, beyond her overboard approaches, I think the the new element of Lady On that we see in this episode is her desire to exert power over her rivals for Trey's affection. Yeah, or who she considers rivals. Yeah, yeah. I, I think she very much considers Zex and Noin to be to be rivals, and it's amazing to me because you know this is something people do in real life too. You know, have you ever been involved in any sort of organization? There are people who just love infighting yes, bureaucratic yeah, yeah, yeah. infighting mm-hmm. they just live for it and they don't seem to like understand you're just doing the job or like you know whatever the case might be right. and so i think what's it's what's interesting is that not only do you see un being invested in committing to bureaucratic infighting as well as you know wanting the outcome to go her way but also seeing how zex and Noin just don't care they really don't care. Truly, like they have their own business that they like actual things they care about. It's it's like the difference between caring about having power, right, and then caring about like that the work that you're doing has meaning. So while we're talking, Trey's about- also might be encouraging this as well as right. a leader. That is, an, I think it's a further question. I might have had further notes about that, but I think you're right because I I would have to imagine the fact that Trey's doesn't engage in more discipline of un. Mm. And the fact that there, this is really more a note I had for episode eleven when we meet uh, the the idiot boys because that's further example of people who are cruel in Oz and believe that their cruelty builds on Oz's philosophy, mm-hmm. and and the fact that you know those people don't get countered is you know problem. You uh, Ignacio, you got I, something? You I wanna... think you mean episode thirteen because thirteen is when we meet oh, uh, those two boys. Yeah, I'm sorry. We. 
we uh, <laughs> a little scheduling note. We had we had prepared some extra episodes just in case. That'll be next week, right? But but I think I believe that's episode wing zero. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly correct. No, but you're right though. Yeah, I, I, your well, point so is correct. We'll we'll visit on that further. Uh, um, the idea of cruelty and Oz and why why do cruel subordinates? I mean, we we do see that now. Un, right. We don't need the episode thirteen boys. You're right. Ex- to I discuss. agree. Cruelty is a thing in Oz, even when Trey's styles himself as a refined gentleman. And I think Zex is uh, sliding into it, you know, sort of, uh, or sort of falling for Trey's philosophy, even as much as he's like, this is bad. <laughs> well, if Gundam Wing, I, I have a conversation I want to have about Lady Ona in a sec, but if mm. Gundam Wing was like a good, thoughtful show, and Jerry's out. I would say, uh, I, I I would almost make the claim that because of everyone's uh, like kind of confused motives during this big action of the coup d'état against the United Earth Sphere Alliance, it it almost seems like the show is making a comment about how you can go through the motions of what you're used to doing and end up in a place that you did not mean to be at in mm-hmm. any regard. And I I think I honestly think that Trey's is clueless about. Or or chooses not to see that the that most people, when given when empowered like this, are, are like tend to act on their most base instinct, which is you know, for many people something that often I would argue is cruelty. And, and when we get to that, I trust me, we will talk about that. Right. But I wanted to ask about Lady Un specifically. When you guys look at Lady Un, do you, what kind of like? What kind of vibe do you get just from like what I would call her signifiers, right? Like like her her bun hair, her glasses, her sort of like in in like insistence on military rigor. Like you would you would call like if I was watching a movie, I I would assume that that character is a Nazi lady, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like yeah. like the boots. Very fastidious, like a strict schoolmistress. Right. So strict schoolmistress, I think, is what they're going for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think that's more accurately what they're trying to go for is like... But I I immediately remembered, like, there are a million characters like this in, in like, Indiana Jones movies or, like, Hellboy, the, the... uh, Rasputin in Hell in the first game yeah. of Hellboy movie has a love interest Nazi lady character. Right, mm. there's the Nazi lady in Last Crusade. Right, that exactly. So, and I'm curious, do you think, you know, uh, uh, Stephen, you're you're you know, you remember Endless Waltz, and Lady Un ends up in a different place. Yes, in, in, in Endless Waltz, than she is. Yeah, I don't here. remember that at all. No, Lady Un changes like mm. in in a way, and I'm curious, like, do you think they knew that? Going no, in? no, I agree. No, <laughs> because they're building these train tracks as they go along. No, no, I think you're correct because yeah. I, I, I really think that she is meant to be a foil for Zex and Noin more than a character in and of herself, right? Because what we're seeing through her is the like obvious conclusion to what Trey's is doing, which is that like inexperienced people without strong discipline engaging in acts of horror. Basically, mm-hmm. whether it's her uh, destroying the earth, which Lady Un really wants to do, Lady Un has a line later, which I think is very revealing. Um, but let's let's get out of this office here, but uh, before I get trapped, Lady uh, Noin definitely is wants to live and let live. 
what with on she's right. really not right. here to like does not really care not here to start shit yet not yet yeah do you can can one of you tell me what Trey's means when he when he calls him Lightning Baron or Count? I have that too. I said uh, not really sure if was there's that, any deep significance. Is that here. a peacecraft thing? It might be a peace. Now that he's reclaimed his hometown, yeah, perhaps, his hometown. I mean, Trey's operates with this very obscure vision of nobility and noble title. So maybe there's some sort of internal hierarchy that he's referencing. I think for me. Trey's in this in this scene. There's two points to, to this conversation between Trey's and Zex. The one I think that touches on this topic for me is that the Trey's very much loves dramatic twists. Again, we talk about how he he loves this romanticized thing in war, and having having Zex as a character in a literal sense as a player mm-hmm. on on the stage is something that I think Trey's loves he just lo- he can't get he cannot get enough zex i think he is definitely invested in a in a way that that like we would be invested in if watching like the show version of this like in in zex's story right i think there's he he loves the like delicious irony of like <laughs> the son of i can't wait until you take off your mask yeah you well he, the, <laughs> even just the way i really loved the scene where Miliardo Peacecraft, and he's like, that name, Zex goes, that name, don't. And, and in a way that's very, like, fucking intimate, like, it's, it's like, that's not what they meant, right? Like, they definitely meant it to be, like, like, this, this, right now, hearing that name hurts me because of what I've done and, and how I know it betrays the, like, uh, uh, values of my hometown. Um, the, um, <laughs> those Brooklyn values. <laughs> But I agree with you. I, I do think that he's he's living vicariously through Zex in a way. Now that I think about it, I think that is the reason, though. Now that he's reclaimed the Sand Kingdom, all right, Baron always ranks lower than Count, so... Oh, is that... Okay, that's yeah. probably it. I, I actually didn't know that those were... Like, when you when you get to, like, those titles, like Baron, Duke, Count, Marquis, uh, you know, that, that, fucking A. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the other... Th- uh, in terms of titles for Zex... Uh, this is maybe the second time, and it'll come up more, that we're really starting to hammer down on this killer of his own men thing, which is the most awkward phrase in the universe. It must just be... Do you, did you check the Hong Kong fan sub for this at all? Well, yeah, I did. And Is like, there a better translation for it? No? Okay. I mean, well, this is one of those things where I imagine it, it, when written, the like, uh, not an expert, I don't know. Uh, I cannot read Japanese, unfortunately. Right, right. This is something maybe I should look into in the future. But we've all had that conversation before. I, I know, right? Um, but th- I almost wonder if this is just a a word or phrase or collection of phrases that just flows better in Japanese. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, if it's just. I think we get the point they're going for, which it very much is kind of like the uh, the Grim Reaper curse from Eighth Team. Remember the, yeah. the one of the the soldiers all of his previous mates uh, die one way or another. And I think that's kind of the, the thing they're going for. So I, so I get it, uh, you know, as is typical of Gundam Wing, they don't really do a, a good job of showing it building into being a feature of the Zex legend. Right. But, uh, I mean, this is something that I think comes up uh, comes up again later. Uh, we'll, we'll probably revisit this uh, on, our, on our next pod. Uh, it's definitely like, I don't know. It, it, it's because uh, they're, they're building up to is the, the Zex uh, reckoning. Right, mm-hmm. like with Zex yeah. being forced to confront the realities of the things that he's helped bring into bear, you know. Um, but before that happens, Lady Un's going to throw some shade at Noin and let Noin know because Noin is like, "How come I didn't know about these these 
uh, modifications to the Ford Tauruses. And Lady Un, like, it, this isn't one of those um, I- I- internal dialogue versus external responses situations, but it made me question if Lady Un had, like, a secret mic attached to Noin, because Lady Un's on, like, a bucket or some kind of cherry picker while she's going over the PowerPoint with all of the Gundams on I it. I really like that shot, by the way. Oh, oh of yeah. her, yeah. yeah. The depth yeah, of yeah. field there. Yeah. Um, it's not I'm, too often I can call out a good shot in Gundam Wing. Oh, no, there, you know, it's, it, get used to it, though, because there are a couple in, in, in this and the next episode, and uh, in next time we meet, there will be a couple to t- talk about as well. Um, I was generally happier with this stretch of episodes. Yeah. I don't know about yeah. you guys. Yeah, Same. no, this, no is, this, is, this is getting better. Actually, I would argue that the next episode is the best episode that we've watched. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, 11 might be De- the best one, yeah. <sighs> well, well, okay, 11 has some things that we'll need to discuss. Oh, I'm not heralding it. Right, but. right. But in, uh, yeah, there's there's for sure important signifiers. Yeah, I only side because it's fine. We'll, yeah, we'll yeah, get to we'll it. Yeah, we'll definitely um, get to it. I, I agree, though. I, I agree with you. Big technical question for you guys. Uh, in your, I know you all keep power rankings of stealth technology. For right. my back pocket. Are you asking right. about Death Scythe's S- features? Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> when was Death Scythe a stealth Gundam? I listen when I, I literally have the note here. <laughs> Death Scythe's features, like, does she mean like literally its aesthetic? It's like, a- <laughs> yeah, because like, it doesn't le- doesn't have any stealth features as far as like we will say. I will say um, uh, the custom has some stealth features. Okay, um, the custom, uh, in addition to the Sandrock custom, has a goddamn like cloak that mm, it, it yeah, can yeah. activate. You, I mean, in the case, if you, audience, if you want to look up the Death Scythe custom, you can see it has some big, goofy wings. Um, and it can sort of, if you've ever seen Disney's Gargoyles, it can sort of fold those rings around itself, kind of like a cloak. And and in that, I believe it can use for stealth. Yeah. I mean, but, I think the, the upgrade for Death Scythe also has a different, they go over the shoulder. Yes. As opposed to going more around the side. I believe that those wings, because the upgrades that the Gundams start going through when we get there, I believe those are for space. I believe mm. that is for combat in space, okay. those upgrades. The one place that capitalism cannot find me. <laughs> Spice. Spice. <laughs> um, so, so Lady Un is giving her PowerPoint presentation on the Gundams. This is one that actually I enjoyed the scene where we got to see... This expedition dump was informative, and I enjoyed it. Yes. I, we got to see Oz name the Gundams themselves. We know that those aren't like the name names, but the, the show hasn't actually told us the names yet. At least, I think, actually, we might have heard a couple names. I think Catcher might have said Setnarok at some point. Maybe. Um, but, I can't remember. Uh, but we certainly haven't heard the, the flying unit being referred to as wing yet. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed, yeah, Death Sight's features. Um, Lady Un says something here that I, I don't know if she knows what that means. She's like, none of them function well in an organized battle. Oh, my God. Uh, I, no? Yeah, what do you mean? <laughs> like, I don't understand what that's supposed to mean. I think they perform she, phenomenally well look, individually. Our defeats up until now were because cowardly soldiers were too slow to compile their data, Okay. Steven Hero. No, I know. I, I'm pretty sure it was all the guns and stealth attacks and the finger of God laser. I think that might have helped a little bit. Because like, it's crazy. You made the comment uh, in our last pod uh, trilogy about how Lady Un... It's stunning how Lady Un underestimates the Gundams. And she's still doing it. She's still doing it. I really thought after episode eight, when she tussled with Shenlong herself, that she'd be like, okay, actually... They're kind of a big deal. Right. Well, it's... I, and I assume what the writers intend here is this to be an ego thing, right? Because she has a line 
you know, I don't want to jump uh, too far ahead here, actually, because now um, we get to something that we've been complaining about for a little while, which is the Gundam, Gundam pilots. <laughs> oh, yeah. We finally actually see people getting orders, We're, right? Well, yeah. we, we, not only do we receive some orders for the first time, but Duo, upon getting I, what I assume are the same orders or similar enough orders, yeah. comes to Hero and he's like, hey, I'm going to do this. Why don't you do that? Which is... A fucking great idea. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, but also ridiculous that it should be 15-year-old boys uh, well, having to do this. But, like, I mean, Duo, of course, is generally, I would say, our most level-headed boy. So he's the one who for has the Him least... Him or Tro, I would say. I don't know. I don't know. Mm, I mean, oh, I think it would be, boy. for me, it would be, Catra. It would be Catra or Duo. I would agree with those yeah. two. I would agree with those two. I think that that on... Troa has moments of clarity. I, I think the problem with Troa is that he really so hero's big thing is that he has no self value right like that's that's the big, like he sees himself as like a, just a, a a gun with a mouth that that you know a troa i feel like there's a weird like I know this is me projecting because I know just because we're told he's supposed to be Russian, but there's definitely like a weird sort of Russian style like cold pragmatism to Troa where like if he was stuck in a survival situation, he would be the first one to drink his own pee. Like that would be Troa. That's the the it, it, like, you know, like <laughs> I, I know that that's a kind of an extreme example, but that's where I'm. I think his damage lies. Like, I mean, we're not gonna. I, I don't want to invoke this ghost yet, but but I, I think that you'll see what I mean in episode thirteen. Yeah. I'll bring it up yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, our boys split evenly. We see a couple of different scenes where um. Like I'll, I'll yeah, let's right. do the ground and I'll do the air and you know I always like battle prep scenes. T- the two other boys agree and and then we cut to Wufe and Wufe is really deep in his feelings. Oh, just yeah. too busy screaming at dogs to do anything. I just my note here just it's just fuck you Wufe. <laughs> That's it. It's just like whatever, man. Oh, oh, I have a huge question. Yes, yes. Is Relina in this new school? And how did she already attract a posse of new girls? An excellent two questions. <laughs> Mentally, I thought she was just back at the old school. To be honest, no, they're on like on like the pier. Is, Remember this this like this new school that Hero and Duo were basketball the superstars. basketball superstars. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Was up on the water, right? And, and which is not what their old school is like. Their old school is in the middle of a forest until it got destroyed by five, not three, mobile suits. Uh, and so the the the, the like how it's it's. I didn't. I didn't even see it the first time I watched the episode, and then right. on my second watch, I was like, "Wait, yeah, same thing yeah, happened." I didn't even think about it. Same thing happened to me, where I was like, "Wait a minute, this is a different school. This is a, like, oh, we didn't even get a chance to be friends with Hero and Duo. I mean, she's rich; she can do whatever the fuck she wants. But, but like, like, is she in school? Who is who is the adult that is constraining her decisions? Yeah, is there at a the truancy age of officer involved? I, I imagine it's the um the driver guy, uh, the pink Corvette guy. I, I imagine it's whoever. Oh, that Miss Relina, do you want to go to Moscow? <laughs> Hell <laughs> yeah! Hey, let's go. <laughs> well, so um so Katra here is meeting with Rashid. Uh, insert the Rashid music here. Rashid. Uh, Rashid asks him, "Do you think the others will come?" And Katra says. We can't win by ourselves. <laughs> and I'm like, you didn't... What? And and he does eventually say later, that's why I'm sure they'll come. And it's like, <laughs> that's not... I mean, I know I'm sitting here like, well, I guess that was the soul of outer space telling right. him. Right, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But, uh, it, you know, not to harp on the script, but again, someone asks someone else a direct question and... <laughs> 
<laughs> Gundam Wing characters are incapable of giving answers. There's the this whole sequence. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. We have to actually. That's more episode eleven. I'm thinking of, uh, but. I will uh, okay. So we're now we're now moving in. You know, we're past the break. Yeah, we should touch just to be clear. Um, Lady Un is coming up with plans to deal with the individual Gundams, mm, and yeah. one of her a, a key part of this plan is she wants to throw Zex in in front of the Wing Gundam. Yes, yeah. and it's a transparently a plan to get Zex in killed. Right, like, transparently. Right. So yeah, so plan is underway. Oz is trying to transport Taurus suits to space, or that's what the Gundam pilots think. Yep. This is this is a trick, right? There's never any intention to get any tourist suits anywhere, or no? I mean, maybe eventually. Right. I'm sure that one day we'll put a Ford Taurus in space. Right. <laughs> Isn't it crazy how much we've we've heard about the Ford Tauruses and seen nothing about them? Yeah, we saw them in carriers. And so the show in reminded me, I actually thought we did see them. Before. No, no, yeah, yeah we I have know. not. I actually, for some reason, I thought they were like in the intro, but it's actually uh, Leo's with the, uh, the the space attachments that yeah, are in the, the little, intro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I thought. Thing. Yeah, you know. Um, uh, so I will say, I, I I always love action scenes involving trains and uh, Death Scythe derailing the train. Very cool. She he straight up um uh what's his name from Five Fantasy Six? Uh, yeah. Body slams the yeah, Phantom Train. Kinda, yeah, yeah. Sort of does a side roll to the train. Yeah, it's pretty sick actually. Um, and the other comment I was going to have here is that I feel like heavy arms of our five boy suits, our Death God machines, really seems the best suited. For these sorts of missions, mm-hmm. like he Troa really seems effective here huge, in a way. Huge question though: Why does the mobile suit carrier plane have a sunroof the size of a mobile suit? <laughs> That's a great <laughs> look. Okay, if there is anything we're gonna take away from the Mechanations Gundam Wing uh, uh, analysis and rewatch, it is that vehicles for the purpose of transporting mobile suits are buck wild. Yeah, well, uh-huh. okay. We're going to I'm going to have a stroke next pod <laughs> when we're talking about Troa's mobile suit carrier. Troa's truck continuity, truck yeah. the bench seating continuity. Yeah, it's, oh god. Um so Troa is and and Death Scythe are attacking the train level of Star Fox 64 um where it's had a very video gamey feel to it. Well, in a way that I thought was like it Exciting, yeah. right? Like, you know, I mean, here as an audience member, it's like the most transparent trap of all time. But it also puts our Gundams uh, in a situation that previously they've, like, they've at least intimated they needed to escape, right? Like, being completely surrounded by... By the way, so you're you're a soldier. You're not a soldier. You're in a mobile suit. Mm-hmm. And they're, like, getting the train. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm in the mobile suit and in the train. And then another mobile suit body slams the train. Mm-hmm. And you just get up. You're yeah, just like, yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah. I, I, okay, I, that's, I mean, that's fair. <laughs> wear, wear your seatbelt. Right. Okay, good point. Good point. Zex has made progress with the tall geese. Uh, let's see. So, okay, here's a question. When Un is in, Un is in the command center, and they're, they're reporting on the status of these two separate conflicts, right? Mm-hmm. The, land, the land conflict. The very and the New Air Hope conflict. command center. That's what I thought yeah. immediately. I was looking for the guy with that pen. Uh, do, yeah. you, do you know who I'm talking about? Who's yeah. like tracing a line down a clear screen? <laughs> do do they just hate the Magonox or something? They never talk about them, but like clearly the Ares guarding the train get blown up by 100% the Magonox. Like we're going to talk about it a little bit more later. The Magonox fucking rock yeah and and are super effective at right. their jobs they're um, really really good and uh, they're definitely focusing too hard on the five i mean the five god they're, machines yeah sure they're a threat no i yeah i get or it. four i should say i right. forgot that yeah, not coming. yeah well yeah he's got a date with some dogs um <laughs> to scream at them 
Uh, Zex has a crazy line here where he says, no need for beam rifles between friends. <laughs> I had a question. Does Zex have an open comm link to here or is he just posturing to No, himself? no, no. <laughs> this, this is yet more of internal dialogue versus yeah, external responses because there's no way... Like, I mean, later, Zex says something directly to Troa, which Troa seems to, like, not respond to, but understand, right? Because, yeah. so, like, later at the end of the fight, some things are happening, and the Gundam pilots are trying to escape, and Zex is sitting there with one arm missing, and he's like, you can go ahead and take the boy. And Troa just kind of shrugs. He's like, okay, I guess yeah. this is the end of the episode I again. mean, Troa has a demonstrated capacity for understanding unspoken things. We learned that in episode That's eight. true. That's true. He's like, hey, you, did you kill the guy? Like, oh, never mind. It's the uh, end of the episode. I guess the episode's yeah. over. Um, so um, Zex and Hero are battling in the Tall Geese and the Wing Gundam. It's almost like we have a real mobile duel, like for one time. This you is know? it's fun to watch. It's cool. It, it's yeah. not you know the the it's anim- short yeah you know, the, and the animation is I would say rudimentary, but like it's serviceable. Yeah, it, it, it like I am invested. I I I know the Tall Geese is is a a powerful right. Weapon. We have we have a real threat for our boys. Right. And so and it's this moment where, uh, oh, yeah, and Zex is really feeling himself in this fight battle, too. And he's, he's talking like, about, I already won this fight. Yeah, I've got no fear. I don't give a fuck. Um, <laughs> 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 um, Un, here, this is where Un, like, is talking about, like, someone reports, like, we've lost, like, I don't know, like, 40 Leos or some shit. And Un is like, wow, the Gundams are strong. <laughs> I'm sitting here like, fucking... <laughs> You were just part of like a Who would have guessed the Gundams had this much power? Yeah. yeah. So this is when Lady Un engages her real plan, which is that she has sent some Oz, I assume operatives, to, what is it, like take over missile satellites? Yeah, something yeah. like that. that. That are surrounding the colonies, and she threatens the colonies. This is a war crime. <laughs> this, this, is, this is like... Send her straight to the Hague. I, well, it makes me go like... Did the show runners know how big of a like I mean I, I I get it. At this point we're talking about giant battles occurring between two armies essentially and all sorts of shit has gone down and like this is that like tedious thing that people would, will say about like fucking Game of Thrones and stuff. It's like, oh, this is war, this the shit gets real. We gotta represent the realness of this shit. Well this is like like a huge leap to to threaten uh, like entire civilian populations, and for... then Trays will say later, "Oh, don't worry, that's all water under the bridge." Oh, God. So anyway, so she she threatens the the colonies. Our Gundam pilots are, with the, the exception of Hero, who is in a pitched battle, are are pretty much stopped in their tracks at this, which is fair. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. this is an Definitely. effective. You know, and this is when Doctor J. Uh, hacks the planet. Uh, this is what I... Yeah, Dr. J hacks the planet. Dr. J says he understands Oz, but apparently did not predict... If I were Dr. J and the five other Gundam scientists, I feel like these missile satellites would be one of the first targets. Yeah, I mean, it's... This seems like a real bad thing that, that could be... Could I had some like, other questions about Dr. J, too, because he says that later. He says, I'm not going to surrender the Gundams. All right. But it, he also says that... I just want to get his verbiage right here. But I'll not hand over the other Gundams as if he has control over any of the other Gundams. Does he wield influence among the other scientists? Because it sounds like five separate splinter groups, almost. 
I don't know. I should say they are targeting similar facilities, but they're not acting completely dependently either. So, well, so my only response to that is, unfortunately, in the next episode we learn not unfortunately in the next episode we learn that Katra and Duo's like initial orders are word for word identical. Yeah. So there's some kind of cross pollination there, mm-hmm. but not enough to like like engage in some actual st- strategic thinking and combine these five super weapons into one spear point and and just like apparently and and like the show hasn't told us yet so it, it it's hard for us to actually know this to be sure uh but like if we got rid of trays it seems like that would solve at least right now it seems like or it's a little too late now now but before the coup if we killed trays that's it and and like it seems to me from what like the is at the the scientist's disposal how would they have not known that like is that do you think that's like a a, a weird like i know we don't want to get caught up in rewriting the script to make it better but like it seems to me that attacking the factories where mobile suits were being developed is was less important as it turns out in the long run than uh dealing with the the actual leaders and and taking out the individuals rather than i just question the the strategy of the 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 terrorist cells i mean i guess if i were to make make an argument i think maybe the argument is simply that they their strategy came too late uh i think certainly the text has shown us that the provision of mobile suits by eyes was a thing that allowed the alliance to do a lot of what it did right and so, you know, maybe if you do this sooner, you prevent the coup. Well, the problem is exactly what you said, is that at this point, it came too late. It well, came too late to prevent them from having a successful coup. And to, mm-hmm. be, and to be fair to the scientists, they didn't know the coup was going to happen. Right. Like, right. that's, that's uh, it, you know, uh, I, and, and I do think this shows that the scientists, there's a certain amount that they still underestimate Oz, right? Like, they didn't see this, like, no, we can leave the satellite missiles alone because they wouldn't go that far Mm -hmm. to threaten these civilian populations. Geopolitically, Uh, too, what's left of the alliance? I have... Because they say the former alliance is missiles. And then Trey's speech last episode, is Oz still predominantly operating in the shadows and, uh, you know, supporting the alliance as a scapegoat? Well... Or is it just Oz now? I know Major Sally's probably operating some splinter cell. Well, so or splinter organization, right? We'll, we'll get to that in episode twelve. Yeah, episode twelve does show a little bit. It, right now, it seems like the the major power is held by Oz loyalists, mm-hmm. and there are pockets of alliance resistance. That appears to be what the situation. That's is. what I'm gathering too. Yeah. So, I'm mm-hmm. comparing and contrasting with the UC Gundam series, I wanted to do Gundam Wing uh, already. Besides, maybe not paying attention to how war is bad, generally has. A much nicer war than the UC Gundams. This is the first episode in which we have discussed violence to the colonies, specifically to the colonies as like a place to exist, mm-hmm. let, let alone the alleged oppression of the colonies sure. presented to us as a part of the intro text in the mm-hmm. first episode. Right. Uh, compare that with 50% of humanity dies in the intro of Mobile Suit Gundam. Right. Uh, you know, a lot of that due to colonies being dropped. And then also throughout UC Gundams, uh, you know, an additional colonies are dropped. 
colony walls are frequently punctured as a part of Mobusu Gundam, Zeta Gundam, Double Zeta Gundam, etc. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. I've, I've, I don't really remember too much of the series at this point. Beyond this, if we get into more issues with, with damage to colonies as places for civilians to live. But uh, very interesting to me so far that Gundam Wing... Uh, which apparently has an additional hundred years of being in space colonies before we get to the first gun pointed at, like the space colony as a whole. Right. Aside, of course, from you know the assassination of Hiroyui. So we've learned about specific targets. Right. But again, you know, we're talking about large scale, much in the same way of blowing a three hundred kilometer, you know, hole in the earth, destroying a whole space colony. Right. Um, This is the moment uh, where. Dr. J uh, is, is like, I surrender. Uh, I'm going to throw myself in front of this bus, I guess. We don't actually see a moment where Dr. J is turned over to like Oz Authority or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we cut to Hero, who steps out of his cockpit, and Zex learns that, that the Gundam pilot, or at least this one, is a child, a baby man. Uh, and he uh, presses a button. And he, he blows up his goddamn god machine. Yeah. Uh, and uh, thank goodness for, for Hero's invincible boy body. He wasn't instantly obliterated. Uh, but, man, he doesn't see, He seems fr- pretty fucked up. Um, Katra, he experiences a lot of pain in his soul of outer space. Is Katra a new type? Is he just, like, unofficially a new type in this show? I, I think he is, right? I do think that's I get that the, feeling. Yeah. I do think that's what they're going okay. for. Okay. Th- space powers. I do think that he's got some kind of... Like, I mean, you could make an argument because of the elevated sort of tone of the show that he is... He's preternaturally savvy about things. Well, I think it's supposed to just be, like, super empathy, you know? Like, I, I think this is more of that, that good, good boy stuff that pisses off the Japanese audience, apparently. I, I just, you know, I agree with you. I think they're going for a new type thing, but I, I think you could easily paint it as just, like, ultra empathy like oh man his suicide attempt hurts my soul of outer space um uh without resolutions we cannot fight what i, I yeah. say that every new Zero year sense yeah yeah it's this january 1st without resolutions i cannot fight better make some new year's resolutions uh, i think trey's must have told zex about the time where um Lufe walked into the, sh- the sea after losing a sword <laughs> fight uh because um zex has been disarmed and uh, uh, he he kind of lets Troa pick up the the invincible boy body that is Hero in in the uh, heavy arms in a hilarious. How many years later was Evangelion? Three years? No, it's airing concurrently. <laughs> well, Gun and Wing starts a few months. I think uh, Ava starts airing in the fall. I was just wondering if anyone's ever edited um, heavy arms to be holding uh, 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 Hero in the same way that uh, Unit One holds. Ah. Uh, uh, I guess it's spoiler, so I won't get into it. Yeah, but yeah. Um, the well, detonation scene was nice. There was yeah. an uptick in animation. No, definitely. Yeah, they wanted that to be dramatically impactful. Actually, a lot of fans speculate that this is the moment where Bandai started to get nervous. If you remember, Akita was, you know, he moved off the project. People were people speculated that this decision, which is somewhat bold, especially for a show heavily bent on merchandise. I know they want to keep evolving to sell more merchandise, but you know, trashing your main suit so early in the series. Some people have speculated that that is why Akita might have been pushed off the project. Interesting. There's nothing to substantiate that other than rumor. I mean, this is. Uh, I mean, this is what uh, o- almost uh, ten years after Optimus Prime is killed in the Transformers 1986 movie. You know. Well, something I liked when is and now we're talking about images. I I did sort of like paralleling or drawing a parallel between Heroes 
broken body and the wing gundam like mm. they, which is something that they do pretty like pointedly in a way that i thought was like i i don't i don't want to come off as prudish here also but like i i really found the image of hero laying in his own pool of blood like upsetting yeah. in a way that that like is like I, I i know it's mostly because he's a perspective character i think that's why it's hitting me harder than than some of the other the violence in this show, they really do sort of a like a Dragon Ball sort of level of violence where like most of the violence happens either very, very far away or it's a giant blast that like kind of like obliterates whoever is the like victim of it. Mm-hmm. Um, or like you're in a room, a small room, and Lady Un throws a bomb through the window and <laughs> mostly everyone's fine but just covered in rocks. Uh, you know, we'll get to we'll get to more violence, that like more pointed, upsetting violence. But this is like, like especially because especially this, when you consider it's a fifteen year old boy sitting in a pool of his own blood. Well, this is what I was going to ask you: Did he did Hero take it upon himself to blow himself up? Which is something we know he's capable of doing because he tried to do it before he beat up those fucking ambulance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you who I was talking about. You see, he should have had a makeup case in there, and then it would have worked. Right, right. <laughs> if he only had a compact. Um, or did Dr. J order him to do this? Or was this something that, that Hero understood? Like, Hero understood Dr. J saying, I, I surrender, but I will not surrender the Gundams. And so Hero goes, oh, okay. I'll blow up my fucking mobile That was suit. my take. I, I think Hero do- rolled up his sleeves and dove right in. Okay. So, well, my question is, I don't want to get too in the weeds of this Mm -hmm. right because i i I feel that typically when it comes to when it comes to fiction and especially works like this um i think that age can be i don't want to say fake necessarily um but i think it is difficult for a writer to accurately translate a worldview that translates to that of someone of that age. I think Mm. when you're an adult, it's difficult to, beyond just saying the character is that age, to really write the character to be that age. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying it's impossible. I think that it's just not a coincidence that all of our main characters are super savants and mega experts and largely speak and act like adults and are largely written by adults. I think it makes that sort of thing tricky, right? Um, Because nothing about our heroes, and unless they're in school, really screams 15-year-old, right? They they don't really exhibit the same sort of uh, turbulent emotional states that we would. I mean, sometimes they do, very specifically. Catcher reads sometime like a 15-year-old kid, though, as he's sipping his tea, he's talking about, you know. Those Gundam pilots are so cool. I hope to meet them someday. But I'm thinking more about situations where you have like super geniuses, mm-hmm. like kids who are like like super uh, savants or like class rep types tend to be like this. They tend to largely just sort of act like adults, yeah. but in the body of a, a, like a 15 year old or what have you. Uh, and so typically it's easy for me to take the text at its own word. Like mm-hmm. when it says yeah, to me yeah. like, like, oh, this is a 15-year-old, and in this world, like, it, it's not that crazy for a 15-year-old to be doing. Like, Gundam Wing takes the time to tell us, like, it's fucked up that these 15-year-olds are doing this. Although, Dr. J makes that confusing because he's like, we made hero into the ultimate weapon. And, and Relina's like, yeah, 
hell yeah, you did. You did a fucking great job. <laughs> and he seems fucking jazzed about it. And Dr. J is like, hell yeah. Um, and, High fives all around. And that's, well, right. And that's madness, clearly. Like, that. that's, it's so fucked up. Um, and, like, even this decision Hero makes is one, you know, if we're taking the text at its word, he didn't make, like, he's in a bad relationship, a bad power uh, differential between him and Dr. J, where he just does not value, and what he has to say about this, I mean, spoilers, I guess. <laughs> spoilers that the main character survived this. Um, what he has to say about this later is infuriating. <laughs> I, I think I know you're talking I'm about. I'm not there yet, well, so I'll yeah, take your word well, for it. Well, 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 don't worry, don't worry. Fucking A. Yeah. My spirit left my body. Nope. Definitely, um, it's uh, it's a true statement. I, I guess it's the end of Hero gets blown to bits. Yeah, I mean, that... I think the there were there is Noin chastises. Uh, oh, that was sick, oh, actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so before that, one small sort of show note that I find interesting. Sometimes when you have a dramatic sort of sequence of a mobile suit walking away from something, the show will shake the whole screen. Sometimes, yeah, I find it interesting when it chooses to do that. This example here, when Heavy Arms walks away from Tall Geese, is one such example. Right. Uh, but then we get to uh, the <laughs> Trey's, Trey's is a shit boss, but undeserves a shit boss. Well, like, so uh, what I like about this, first off, uh, you know, air horns for, for Noin, because, yeah. like, every time Noin gets one, I, I wanted to acknowledge Noin. it. Noin is the best, especially here. This is this is a complete destruction. Like, this is a. Um, uh, 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 seven golden letter situation. Yeah. Uh, like, Un, Un says, literally give it. Oh, I, wait, I think you got the meme backwards. No, I did. I, it's, I, it's because you're supposed to say five. You're supposed to say five golden perfect letters. perfect is actually but seven. But I actually said the so correct number. you actually number. said the correct number instead of the wrong right, number. Right, instead of the incorrect All number. All right, we'll, we'll still worry about well, it. Well, mostly because my concern was, <laughs> not to dig too deeply into the joke now, but my concern was I was going to say five golden letters, and then someone listening would be like, you know that perfect has seven letters. And I'd be like, yes, that was the joke. That was the joke. <laughs> it's a nice physical reversal, too, because earlier, Un... un Oh, the slap. More slapping. Noin. But yeah. this time, you know, Noin's relaying Trey's orders, all right? Un gr- grabs the uh, the mic almost, and then Noin definitely moves to the side and puts her arm up. And, yeah, it's... it's Exerting some physical force. Right. And well, some agency. Well, what, what we learn in that scene is that Noin let herself get slapped that first time. Yeah. That Noin could have gotten in the way of that slap, and Noin respects the chain of command, and so, therefore just let it happen. And I guess it's just... Didn't we have a listener explain that that's like an official, like means yes, of, of yes? Of, there was some some discussion of like military discipline, right? Yeah, I I, 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 I I'll defer to that. Yeah. I, that yeah. seems fair. Again, I, none of us really have uh, a military background nope. I, or, or or family really with uh, with voluntary military backgrounds. Anyway, right? I just um, read it as an so. allusion to uh, you know Noah's famous slap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's. I mean, it just seems to be the move. I'm not sure if it's a custom baked into the Japanese military. I'm not sure if the creators are cribbing on what they think is a European military tradition. Sure. Yeah. And uh, in the final scenes of this episode, Troa is driving away with heavy arms, undraped on his mobile suit carrier. We see a shot of Troa in his enormous cab. <laughs> it was like a, like at least six. Uh, seats or whatever extending into infinity it's like the you know that meme with with avat of ang looking at all the past avatars right but it's troa looking at all the seats all the seats extending into infinity (laughs) no no that's correct and the uh and uh and so i was like oh what happened to hero and apparently 
Troa just leaves Hero bleeding profusely, stuck in the grip of heavy arms for this whole drive. Who knows how long? Troa got there on an airplane. I don't know where he gets the mobile suit carrier from. Uh, you know, and then he's just driving with, with a man who clearly needs medical attention. Who, by every account, everyone in the show is like, he must have. He died. must have died. He yeah. must have died. But no, he's just stuck in the in the grip. I don't know. Like, do you think the inside of like the the, the Gundam's hands are like covered in like Omni Gel or something? <laughs> you know, a little Bacta to help you get back to work. You know, you know, like separate from the uh, the logic of what you're talking about there. I did. I there was a part of me because I agree. I also laughed yeah. when I saw this. But I, I, there was a part of me that did sort of appreciate uh, the image of of Hero like literally stuck in the fist of of a mech. Like, I, I enjoyed the sort of, like, you know, this is not what the show was going for, but Hero really is trapped by this, like, like this ideology, this, this like, weapon of war. Like, this is all he knows how to do. This is not what the show is going for, but this is where my mind went. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree. It's like, what the fuck, Troa? Like, do you think, I almost wondered if his concern was, like, if I, like in the fist here, I can keep his body as straight and as upright as possible. And, like... There are no seatbelts up across these. Infinite, yeah, like, <laughs> like I, I don't have a like a, a bandage or a tourniquet or, or anything, so I will just use the fist of my mobile suit right. <laughs> to, um, to, to compress. So before I, I wanted to touch on it, this is we're going back a little bit, but when Un uh, engages the plan to take over the the satellites, uh, missile satellites, she talks about how the colonies are. Easily destroyed homes for the pathetic. Yes. Yeah. Um. And and I was wondering if I didn't actually look this one up in the script because I didn't feel like this one was like missing the point of whatever the original line was as much. But is this? Do you think this is a real like facet of her beliefs, or is this just something she's saying to sort of like paper over the fucked up war crime she's committing? Like, does she actually believe it, a, a Wu Fei style? People with strength, you know, should be able to fight off something like this, or they should have thought about something like this, or is this just her letting herself do? Gundam things? series tend to other the inhabitants of the colonists, yeah. So it's I, I just view it as in line in that tradition. I think that's probably yeah. Fair. yeah I think that's, something that's, lesser that's than uh, Earthlings, as awkward as that word sounds. Right. No, I think that's fair. <laughs> the colonies can be flattened with the most minute of attacks. They're insignificant worlds for the pathetic. I guess then, do we want to uh, do? Do we want to be bewildered? No, that's the next episode. Do we episode. want to explore the whereabouts of hope? That's oh, right. Wait, no, that's the song from Trails in the Sky. That's right. Whereabouts of happiness. That's where we yeah. are now. Yeah. So the Gundams. Uh, we've spent a lot of time being in the Gundams and seeing them receiving transmissions from various sources. I am really impressed that the Gundams are able to generate a audio notification for someone signaling them with a light. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, because. Tra- Catra, Catra's got the like. It looks like a studio light. Yeah, like, you know, it's just like a little lamp that you're flashing on. Like, that's fine, whatever. I mean, you know, I'm sure they signal. You know, s- you know, in a, in a uh, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Begins in the S. Uh, not is it? No, not surreptitious. Is it surreptitious? Stealthy. Maybe? Stealthy. Yeah. Surreptitious. I mean, uh, I think it, that's the word you're looking yeah, for. Yeah. In a clandestine manner. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so uh, that also made me laugh when I saw that. Uh, it seems to me that duo. Because because duo here talks about how he he kind of is is looking for allies, 
but I think mostly he's just looking for someone who will actually talk back when he's he just wants attention mostly. Yeah. Um yeah. and Catra is finally someone who acts like a human. Yeah. Mostly. Uh we also see uh the forces of Oz digging up the uh the remains of the wing Gundam. I really enjoyed this scene because I think when I had first, you know, in terms of trying to understand the Zex character in this series, uh, in episode nine, when Zex says that he can't possibly be the king of the Sand Kingdom because he's sullied his hands, mm-hmm. I had sort of taken that to mean that he had used violence to get his revenge. Uh, but watching this scene and hearing him talk about the Wing Gundam, I think maybe, I can't tell if Zex really acknowledges the extent to which he has fallen in with Trey's love of romanticized war, because I think that's what's coming across for me oh, here, is that Zex very much loves dueling. He loves the you know the idea of being destined to fight and, and this and that, and then that is really what prevents him from being the heir to the, the Sank Kingdom in a way that Relina, the best character in the show, is. Right. No, yeah. I mean that's it's very clear that he romanticizes uh the the sort of combat. Like really he should just take up fighting games. If Trey's and Zex played fighting games, they would find uh, an outlet for this right. like unhealthy sort of I mean, interest the, in the competition. Name of the fighting game is Endless Duel. Right, exactly. Which is exactly what Trey's and Zex want. Right. It, it's it's For someone so obsessed with dueling though, he shot a few pigeons earlier on in the show and he has yet to actually do any other fighting. Trey's here. Trey's. Well, yes. that of course also betrays the nature of aristocracy, so that True. they never actually want to they they claim to love the meritocracy, but the meritocracy is designed with the central flaw that if you're already set up to succeed, you're going to succeed 99% of the time. Right. Mm. Um, they make a comment about how the Wing Gundam has been completely destroyed. And I I understand intellectually what they're saying, that, that all the things that are important that make yeah, a mobile suit right. work, or don't, they don't work no more. Mm. It's, not, it's no good. It's, visually, they probably should have destroyed... Shown more of it being destroyed then because it looks fine. <laughs> it looks like, like, obviously, it doesn't look fine, fine. Like, and it looks like most of the pieces are still there. The Gundamian's like, still there. Well, right. And, and like, or you know, should I say, loose scraps of Gundanium? Yeah. <laughs> the God Laser is there. Um, uh, uh, Zex uh, bends down and picks up the joystick. You know, the, the, um, it, it looks like he's ready for some, uh, uh, MS DOS TIE Fighter. The capes um, are back too. I wonder if they signal victory. <laughs> victory. They, they just have them on whenever they're being cavalier. <laughs> I, I again. Oh man. I again do like the image of the the piece that Zex ends up like finding is the one that directly controls the mobile suit. Like this is him making that his like weird spiritual connection to his opponent. Like if this was a different kind of show, like like G Gundam could have made this work because G Gundam lives in a universe where there can be this sort of spiritual connection between opponents, right? This is something that um, uh, uh, Hunter Hunter codifies at one point. It actually, one of the characters talks about how two fighters of equal skill, before they actually clash, there's a moment where both of them are philosophically like, like eyeing each other up. And in that moment, there's infinite possibility and the fight crawls to us. Like, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Where that type of show... Uh, can allow for that sort of thing and it not be a disruption of what the rest of the show is doing. Like, Zex and the way that he... And and Trey's, and the way that they both sort of shrug and let the Gundam pilots get away after their battles betrays the rest of the show in a way that is, like, 
not necessarily uh, like ultimately undoing the show, but this is why it has such trouble figuring out what kind of show it, it's going to be. It's mm-hmm. because it wants to have its real mecha cake and eat the super robot cake as well. Like they, that's it, too many cakes. Yes, it's it's and that's <laughs> what is it? He takes and that's as many as four tens, and that's, that's terrible. That's terrible. It's, that's <laughs> terrible. There's a nice moment, too, between Zex and Noin. Uh, Zex asks if, can I bring the Gundam to the Lake Victoria base? It's like, he doesn't pull rank with Noin. No. I like the intimacy between the two of them. Compare that to uh, Noin and Lady Un, for example. Right. So, yeah, I, my next note here, Zex wants a run back. That's what it is. Like He wants it on his first to ten. Um, uh, destined to do battle. I love how clueless these characters are. Zex wants to fix the suit, and Noin's like, Why? Why the fuck? Of course you want to rebuild the god suit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's actually, this gun was a really good gun. And I think maybe it's, like, we know as the audience that Zex wants the run back. Right. And he's, like, somehow, Gundam, I mean, we I haven't watched beyond episode 13 at this point. Right now is at the time of this recording. But I know in my heart of hearts, Zex will rebuild Gundam Wing. Yes. And Hero will get it. Yes, That's correct. going to happen. Yes, I don't know how, but it's going it's to me, happen. It's me, the spoiler boy. I'm here from yeah. the future to confirm that Yeah, you're to confirm that this is going to happen. And But at the same time, I think what you're saying, Stephen Hero, is correct because like, if, if we were playing like a video game in which we had just defeated like a, our enemy who had a powerful weapon, we would want to take the powerful weapon and use it. Yes. That would be our, our, our thought process. Right. Or at the very least, you know, somehow repurpose it to do something with it. And so, yeah, like, of course you want to take this and make, like, we only have one tall geese. What if we had two tall geese? Tall geese. <laughs> you know? We tend to dump on Oon for not realizing the full potential of the Gundams, but the Gundam pilots themselves do not realize the full potential yet of the machines that they operate or the mechs that they operate. Right. Which can, is, from a viewer's perspective, i.e. my perspective, that could be frustrating sometimes because it eliminates stakes or... The Cunningham's can eviscerate anything in their path. The show, the Texas data this, and they have these little squabbles like, oh, I don't know if we can do this. We need to stealthily get out. No, you don't. Well, so I just, I think that there's a lot of work not being done in the writing to address what you're talking about, right? The writing feels like a, a very, like, there are certain works where you can just tell that that there was not a lot of effort put into avoiding the obvious sort of like the obvious sort of problems you would run into sometimes when you're do, writing a narrative out, you have the end point and the beginning point and you just kind of woodly woodly until you get to it. Right. What was that um, like again? Yeah. Woodly woodly. Uh, yeah. Once you woodly woodly over there. Yeah. Technical um, term. Well, cause the reason I say that is because like, it, it's that thing where we were discussing in previous pods where it, it's frustrating to not see how Lady Un disseminates information mm-hmm. or it's, it, it's frustrating to not see how the Gundam pilots get their missions. Because if we got this information, it would be clearer where the deficiencies are on either sides there. Yeah. Um, and it would be harder for the writing to do its work, mm-hmm. right? Like, which is to get to whatever the end point they want to get to. And the other reason this is happening and working out this way in, in a frustrating manner, um, like later in this episode, we'll see Death Scythe just use a big bazooka to shoot a bunch from an airplane. And I'm like, that seems pretty effective. Yeah, that's good. Like, you should yeah. probably do that. Like a lot, a lot, yeah. <laughs> like, Might help like, your buddies out. Just, yeah. just give everyone a big bazooka, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, why not? 
That really frustrated me because I was like, wait a minute. Why did they make all five of these Gundams heavy arms? Then? <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it's uh, like, why did we why did we build a stealth Gundam? <laughs> no. Well, I, it made me wonder, is this one of Death Sight's features? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, so, yeah. So, Zex wants to run back. Dustin to do battle. Here we get another scene with Trey's speaking with Lady Un. Yeah, so before, we have a thornier issue of uh, regional and national signifiers to get into in the back half of this episode. Uh, There was a light one that I wanted to touch on, uh, because we don't need to revisit it when we get into the scenes in Moscow. Trey's makes this comment about how the people in Moscow understand Oz. (laughs) And... I'm wondering, does is is Trey's meaning this literally? Like there are specific people, or is he s- somehow playing on Russian signifiers to be like the Russians appreciate war? Yeah, the Russians appreciate the boot of fascists. Yeah. It's like almost what he's saying. <laughs> right, there. right. In a way, like no, I had the same thought. I assumed that this was... I read was... it literally, because I think there's a lot of Romafeller yeah. members literally, in Moscow. Yeah, yeah, the... No, I think that's correct. Okay. I mean, again, it could be either or. The first time I watched it, that was my assumption, was Mm -hmm. that literally there are just aristocratic people in Moscow, because, like, why not? The the second one... uh, But, but like, also, the second time I watched it, I said, well, wait a second. This is a show that shows us, you know, national, regional signifiers, and then, you know, doesn't bother to follow up on them generally. Mm Uh, look at you know Shenlong and Wufei is the, the biggest example of it that gets shoved in our face all the time. You're making faces, Ignis. Can you? Can I help you? Well, or, so the reason because I was like, you know, you're gonna, you gonna throw up. The thought didn't occur to me to look up this particular bit because I I assumed what you guys were saying, which yeah. is that uh, Trey's was just saying we're rich people live in Moscow, right, right. so they'll be fucking fine with you. It'll be a ball. Um, what he says in the script or in the Hong Kong adaptation. It's very different. Oh. <laughs> um, so uh, he, you know, the he, he he approaches Lady Un while she's saluting, and he kind of, like, like lowers her hand or something awkward. Yeah, yeah. No, um, that was great. I, <laughs> uh, and, you know, he says, and this is the adaptation, not the adaptation, the quote-unquote translation of the original script. The majority of doves in the colonies really hate anything associated with the military presence. You should loosen yourself up from now on. Go to Moscow and assign, uh, announce that you'll be going into space. Moscow is a city with strange inhabitants who are generally supportive of Oz. <laughs> is the way he puts it. <laughs> yeah. So, like, it's not different as much as it's, like, it, it, it's, it, it's apparently, like, what he's saying is that, like, Oh, unlike most places, Moscow just likes us. So go there to make the announcement because that's where we'll get the best PR. I mean, that's fine. Whatever. Fucking, you know. Trey's, I'm going to need you to go to New Hampshire to announce your run for 2020. Thanks. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, here we cut to uh, the the desert. I believe the uh, uh, I'm sorry. Duo and Catra have made it through the sandstorm with the Maguanot Corps. And uh, they stop at a random part in the desert, and Rashid clicks his garage door opener. Speaking of Final Fantasy VI, this reminds me of the bit in Figaro Castle. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Rashido clicks the garage door opener, and the two... um, What are the names of the the two guys from The Simpsons who are always at the bar? Uh, or, or no, who work with, with Homer at the plant. Uh, oh, uh, Lenny and Carl. L- Lenny and Carl. There's a totally Lenny and Carl in the Maguanot Corps. 
like the two guys who we see talking, like who remind me of the three old men from Cowboy Bebop. Oh, glasses and mustache. Yes, glasses yeah, and yeah, mustache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ab- Abdul's glasses. I'm not sure what mustache. Oh yeah, that's right. Yes. Um. So the Magnat Corps show up, and the Simpsons guys, uh, uh, let us into the town. Well, really, they let us into the secret garage door uh, base where we see more of the Magnat machines. We see not only the like the sort of oh wait the mess team version of Sandrock that we've seen the rest of them walk around in, but also some hover tanks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the hover tanks are excellent. All pretty good designs. I like right. them for once. No, I enjoy them. I yeah. like them a lot. Um, I like everything about... Well, I like a lot of things about the Magwinox. Not everything. Uh, so the, we meet here a, a figure named Sada'ul, um, and Sada'ul appears to be a, a rich... Some kind of uh, a benefactor for the Magwinox. They also address him as like a commander, right, or a general, or something. Uh, I thought, commander Sadaul. Command. Okay. Yeah. Commander Sadaul. Yeah. Okay. Um, I I did leave a note. Who is this guy? Because they don't really explain it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I I can pick up from signifiers like he's definitely got sort of your stereotypical Arabian prince thing going on, where he is or Arabian. Uh, it doesn't have to be from Arabia. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Middle Eastern prince. Mm-hmm. We could go. Um. There, they we learn a little bit more about the uh, 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 family, Rabarba. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> no, wait, okay. I want to, I want to, con- I want to confirm three things. We learn that they're wealthy, yes, we learn that they're pacifists, yes, right? Because they no, say he, that's what he says, that's, that's what, what Catcher says. says, but we don't know why they're wealthy. No, it's like we know that they're independent, wealthy, pacifists. But we don't know. Uh, the, the Winter family in specific? Yes, yeah. the All Winter right. family yes. specifically. Yeah, Duo says one of the few influential powers of the Arab nation. Yes. Is what Duo okay. says in his exposition. Yeah. yeah. And Katra, he says that he had to dis- disinherit that himself. That line's interesting because I read, going into Gundam, revisiting Gundam Wing, having forgotten everything, I assume that all these murder babies were orphans of some sort. Right. And it sounds like Catra had some agency and decided deciding to join as a Gundam pilot, yeah. if you read that. I, I, you know, without going into it, I, I, I have read what the his his deal was. Is I, it stupid? I did that when we were doing our character bios. Mm-hmm. So I had okay. to dig okay. into a little yeah, bit yeah, yeah, of yeah, the yeah. characters and figure out what I could talk about and what I couldn't. It's, yes, it is. I mean, it is insofar as, like, this whole thing isn't great. I mean, okay. So... When we get to the Magwinok town, I don't think they ever name it. The hometown. Um, the the Magwinok hometown. I wanted a name for my notes. I was taking uh, Yeah, me too. There's a, just a lot of... There's a lot. There's a lot of um, broad stroke signifiers with regards to these Middle Eastern people. Middle Eastern even is not like the best terminology. Like Who knows where these people are actually legitimately from? I, I wouldn't describe any of it as... Malicious, nor would I. But um, problematic, certainly. Sure. Yeah, I, it's lazy. I, I feel like I would call it lazy, right? You're like, you're trying, like, oh, we're trying to tell them they're from this part of the world right. that we really aren't going to bother to study and reproduce in an My, interesting way. The biggest way. thing, I, the issue I had was the white savior archetype with Catra. That was my biggest beef. This, so yeah, I mean, uh, that's the most blatantly offensive. There's some light. They lightly exoticize the region, especially with the dancers, but it's limited and it's not malicious, like Ignis said. So the the belly dancer thing is especially rough because that's definitely not a thing. That's yeah. nothing. Right. That's because um, that, that's one of those things. Whenever you know, I mean, that's one of the things why I prefer. I feel like I, I it's better for me to say lazy because I think lazy includes negligence. Right. Yes. Where yes. Negligence is 
remember, neg- when someone says negligence, what they're saying is that you should have done better. Right. Well, and the, the main thing I want to stress, you know, without getting too personal, I, I can tell you that I, I grew up in a, from a similar background. Uh, my father is from Libya, and I was raised uh, uh, with with Islam. Um, the outfits that the belly dancer ladies were wearing is totally something you would wear to dress up. Right, to dress up and take pictures. Like, that's not actually a fakey fake thing. It's probably a little bit more salacious than you would get. Like, it's very clearly like a belly dancer outfit rather than some kind of like, and they're saying that there's a, fe- a fucking festival going on because the Magwanaks are, are heroes or whatever. But it is the most broad strokes because, like, the Magwanak core themselves look like, I would argue, like Moroccan, maybe. Yeah, or more... that was my, I mean, based on my super limited knowledges, I would say. North African, Northwest African. Yes, yeah. I agree. I was thinking Algeria, but yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Like that. That area is way more of what they're projecting to me than, and like, this is just indicative of how Japan tends to, or Japanese pop media tends to portray uh, uh, anything that is beyond the sort of scope of uh, either Japan itself or Western European American. Mm-hmm. Even American, like it's it's broad strokes, but it's broad strokes in a way where you would like, it's like you can't even really blame them for being broad strokes in the same way because it's not representative of a culture that has been under, you know, boots related boots, and yeah. and this was something that was like Catra in specific with the with regards to the white savior thing. Without getting too deep into his background, like they 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 have a reason for why he oh, looks do? the way he does, but it's not good. It's not yeah, it's uh, nothing. That's the thing is I mean, that, that's the thing too when I look at something like this, I can it's you got to remember folks, it's never enough to have a reason because you can look at Metal Gear Solid 5's Quiet. Hideo Kojima has a reason for why Quiet right, is exactly. dressed like she is, but it's complete utter bullshit it's it's <laughs> <So>. it's <laughs> always very weird for me every time i watch the intro which i fucking love i love uh uh i and just you wild beat just wild beat communication um and <laughs> when we cut between the the three the five boys and we we have that shot of him cross-legged on the floor and we see like a pattern on the floor where it really seems like he's like to me someone who's been in mosques it reminds me of being in mosques mm-hmm. and and uh, like being like uh, you know, if he was praying, he would have a a, a prayer rug in front of him. But it it is a weird feeling. Like for for me, even for me, like it, it he's not like altogether much more pale than I am per se. Like not to bring myself into it, but it's really really rough. <laughs> it, every time I see it, it makes me wish like ah, oh, they could have just had Rashid. It could have just been a teenage Rashid, and and the problem is gone. Like it, I, I will say. In Gundam, to Gundam Wing's credit, like Rashid, for example, his voice performance, it's much more naturalistic than it could have been. Oh, yeah. It could have been hyperinflated, flagrantly offensive. I was concerned when Sada Ul started talking. Yeah. I was like, oh, no. Yeah, oh, no, no, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I looked it up out of curiosity. The voice actor for Rashid, I couldn't find Sada Ul, okay. but Paul Dobson, he's English-born Canadian. Oh, yeah, Paul I don't Dobson. Want, Paul Dobson. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to generalize him. He might... Be have some. He might be Middle Eastern. I'm not sure. I'm not here to make that judgment call just based on pictures, right? Uh, but it's possible. He's he's so he's Paul Dobson's a pretty famous. Uh, like he's he's up there, like Frank Welker, or like I, uh, he's one of the Animaniacs. I don't remember which mm, one. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um. Uh. So moving on to the plot of the episode. Long story short, the 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 Magwanaks are awesome. The broad strokes used to portray them are much less awesome. 
Um, yeah, you want to have some fun? It, what, oh, you yeah. Wanna, you want to go to a party? Yeah, I love parties. Well, let's go to a fucking party. Oh, fuck, yes. Yes. Yes, let's yes. get to this actual, yes. like, I mean, so, so before we get to the party itself, um, we were seeing a, a press conference oh. where Lady Un is. Oh, my God. This is so good. Um, yeah, tell me about this. Where Lady Un is announcing, not I guess announcing her plans to go to a ball to announce her plans to go to space. Um <laughs> And uh, Relina is walking by what appears to be like a Radio Shack or like some kind of future Radio Shack uh, where these monitors are on. I love what a great fictional like sort of trope this is to be like walking along and some kind of relevant news event is happening on a public space. (laughs) But what I love more about this where Relina is watching this thing with Lady Un um, and we have the uh, the Rose Corsage set up here. Is that um, Relina turns off the TV? I love how she turns off. Oh my god, it's so good. She just walks off and is like, "No, boop." Well, okay, so she turns off the TV. The 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 we we smash cut to Moscow. Yeah. Um, we see a a pink uh, uh, limo Corvette or whatever uh, roll up, and Relina walks out, and she's in a brand new excellent dress. Yes, she is fucking killing it in this this like what would you call this like a light blue. I or thought, white? It? Yeah, it's like somewhere between like bluish whitish yes. sort of thing, a very um, light color. Not to bring up that old conversation of what color that dress yes. is, blue or gold. Uh, <laughs> looks like it's it white was, with a blue bow on the it back. It was black and blue or blue and gold? What? It was gold. blue and gold or like white and I don't remember, who knows. <laughs> Memes are good. That's not open up Pandora's box. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm putting that bag of snakes away. I'm throwing that out of okay. here. Um so she arrives here at this party. Let's talk about how she didn't she didn't have a plan to get into this party? No. <laughs> No, her, she's just her gonna plan, roll up. Her plan <laughs> is to be like just stone cold constantly, all the time, all the time. Like she is. It's amazing to me that when we're introduced to her in the early episodes, she presents herself almost willfully as a rebellious teenager. Yes, but as as more events happen to her, I think just as willfully she presents herself as this perfect aristocratic daughter there was a lot um that in, in this bit uh, and okay so she gets into the party due to a if you've ever seen the episode of firefly um uh shindig this reminded me a lot of shindig i was gonna say this the, it's maybe joss borrowed a lot of beats from gundam wing because this follows this the, a lot of the same beats happen here where an older aristocratic in the table <laughs> what is it the man with a very nice sash um yeah uh, he, uh, uh, a Relina is stopped by the, I don't know, what do you call these guys? The coolers? Valet? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, he's just checking the invitation list. Yeah, um, she's, cause he's like, do you have an invitation? She just stone cold, like dead ass. She's like, no. And she walks by him and he's like, well, uh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> That's not how invitations work. <laughs> do you know anybody in there? Um, and Marquis. Wayridge. Oh, wait, thank you. I was about to call him Dukara Boss. Um, uh, Marquis Wayridge is taking the escalator up, and he sees Relina, refers to her as Catherine? Katrina, I Katrina? Thought? Is that just like her like original name, like Milliardo? So, is? Wayridge is actually her grandfather. Oh, is actually her grandfather? But you want to get that read from the episode, but I think okay. the episode wants you to think that, but it didn't, the episode did not give well, us he, enough Wayridge r- refers to her 
as his granddaughter. But I thought that was a pet name because yeah, ex- I couldn't tell the exposition. That's this is not normal grandfather granddaughter interaction. Even though you know Relina was with a you know. I mean, it's a bunch of old boomers. Like I can't. I didn't really. Oh yeah, it totally is. I didn't really like how any of these old people were talking no, to Relina. Me Nor neither. Did I. Me I neither. Didn't, didn't no, like it was this very at uncomfortable all. with this old man. No, all these old men lining up to dance with this fifteen-year-old. It's just like. Y'all can chill. All right. Yo, you d- I know what you rich people are up what to. You gotta so remember, y'all can chill. What you got to remember is that the whole time, that whole scene, Relina's packing She's heat. packing heat yeah. in that dress. She just got to... She's know. ready. Um, so anyway... <laughs> she's got peace. Um, she's she's here at this uh, at this ball, and pretty much everyone loves her instantly, which is yeah. like relatable and understandable. Yeah, understandable. Relatable um, content. And uh, the party stops... Because the police have no, just Un- kills the music just by being in the room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A whole orchestra immediately stops. Can you imagine? <laughs> you know, PMC, you you've played publicly before in some in some yeah. venues for you play some instruments. No, I've actually. I, I one time I played like uh, a swing dance at at, at at my at my college, and yeah. like I'm just trying to imagine like you're there in the like, band, doing, like you know, like a Count Basie tune or something, <laughs> and then just suddenly you know the band director's cuts, yeah, and it's like. Oh, it's uh, you know the dean of being a pain in my ass is showing up. <laughs> you know, kill the music. Um, so Lady Un, she's like, it, it, "Hey, it's cool. I was invited here too." It's I believe her actual <laughs> yeah, fucking yeah, dialogue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm very curious if her prescription is very good for her glasses because I do not understand how it took her so long yeah. to notice Relina standing there. Yeah. Um, darlin, dar- <laughs> Relina, darlin. Um. So she walks up to uh, Marquis Way- 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 Wayland. What's his name? Wayridge. Wayridge. Wayland. No, Wayland is uh, the that's spaceship aliens? company from Aliens. Yeah, that's yeah. Aliens. Yeah. Spelled W E R I D G. I thought it was W E H R I D. Not a mind. No? no. Okay. Not from All the right. subs. I right. Okay. okay. Um, uh, 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 Marquis Wheatthins uh, uh, has. Uh, Lady Un, it was there to see him, apparently. Right, right, because he had requested Trey's show up because he could be like... To explain himself is yeah, what he says. You, you pulled a coup that brought us into an international period of violence. Like, well, what are you doing? The Marquis says something similar, something interesting here, where he talks about how um, the there are... Apparently there are differences within the Romafeller Foundation regarding how to deal with the Alliance and the, the Saint Kingdom. That seems to be what he's intimating. Is that there were people even within the Romafeller Foundation that weren't into the Oz project, but like it, it's hard to tell with the right. Yeah, that, my reading was also that of course he's part of the Romafeller Foundation. He supported Trey's rise to power. Now he's getting cold feet. Yeah. Okay. That I mean that to me is a a, a more interesting read. Like that's to me like a more a character who I'm. But I had to look just a bit. Uh, to get first off, I had to find out is Wayridge Relina's granddaughter. Right, uh, right. No, totally because it, it's it's one or grandfather. Excuse me. No, I, yeah. So Lady Owen is there, but like, wait a second. I need I. You need to give me that rose. Well, that's what I was going to get to. <laughs> was that uh, you know, um, Relina earlier made the comment about you know military uniforms are not suited for roses. Um, I don't know um, flower imagery strongly i know people who do flower arrangements to know that flowers have different meanings for yeah and i imagine for corsages it's probably true right. it's not always appropriate to put the pedal to the metal <laughs> that's definitely true <laughs> um <laughs> um so uh marquis wheat thins asks her for the rose to give to relina um and this is where lady un 
I okay. I really wanted uh, the um, Kill Bill. <laughs> she notices Relina there, and Lady Un does not respond to the request for the rose. And Merlina is like, "That's okay, grandfather. I, I don't think I would look good with the rose either." I would look much better sloked, soaked in the blood of Oz. And she whips out her piece and shoots Lady Un in the chest. Although she doesn't land on Lady Un, she just destroys that corsage. Mm-hmm. In the biggest, like, I, I would, like, I guess the only thing I could call it is a mic drop, right? Yeah, it's a, right, it's a yeah. massive, like, just, like, air horn, just, meh, 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 and, like, Lady Un it got completely owned for the second episode, in a, or maybe even third episode in a row. Lady Un is completely obliterated here. Uh, Relina runs for it. She just fucking books it. Yeah. Um, and the rich people create a wall of richness to prevent the... <laughs> right. the and the, you can't touch rich people, so... Right, it exactly. Works, you no, know. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no, damn it. We missed the opportunity to call this the Fire Festival. Oh. <laughs> um, well, it wasn't really the Fire Festival until someone shot a gun, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Relina books it. She's out of there. And the Marquis has an interesting line read here where he's talking about. I can't. I don't remember if this is foreshadowing for anything. He's talking about, like, Relina's courage inspires me. And, I, and I'm sitting here, like, I agree. This is fucking awesome. Like, I was. This is. You know, full disclosure, I, I ended up watching 10 and 11 um, and the week that I ended up going to Katsukon just to make sure I wouldn't fall behind. Um, and in that point, I was still, like, directly in the funk of uh, 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 7, 8, and 9. And I'm just like, fucking A. And when I got to 11, and I was like, oh, never mind. Here, we're, we're here again. Yeah. I'm back on the roller coaster. <laughs> you know? Um, that shot is brilliant of Rulina taking out that corsage. What do we get to here? I guess um, this is when, oh, we, we finally get to Duo and Katra. Uh, they find private space in the Maquinoc village, and they have... Oh, real quick. One word I want oh. to touch on. Wayridge said, we're all great fans of the girl. What is Gundam Wing and with and the word fans? Because Major <laughs> Sally's a big fan, big fan. <laughs> of uh, Hero. Hometown, too. Yeah. Just, I mean, no. it's, it's the adaptation. But right. I, I agree. We're all I, big fans of that girl. <laughs> It's what the fuck? <laughs> it's definitely not like the phrasing I would think of for that. Like it's, I, I agree. We though. admire her spirit, maybe her but, courage, yeah. or like you know, which is something that he says. We're all big fans of that girl. Anyway, duo, duo, and Katra find a space, but they don't. We finally have a situation where they're going to talk. We're going to hash it out. We're going to learn things about each other, but they don't say anything <laughs> well, of substance well. not a goddamn thing the thing we learn really is that their initial like very vague order was word for word identical right and that they had the same basic you know uh uh duo has a line about how he he, he didn't think he his life was worth living and then an old man gave him a <laughs> <laughs> like a, a death weapon and he was like yep okay a stealth and, gundam and, and, yeah gundam with features that's right um, <laughs> uh and I, and catra doesn't like catra <laughs> at no point jumps in with any details about like oh well unlike you though i grew up rich and so i was comfortable my whole life probably and maybe i had pressures from like other factors but i definitely wasn't ever struggling to survive at any point and then an old man gave me a, a gun and told me to to fight uh rich people and i was like fuck yeah um 
Sounds uh, like you've been arrested or being interrogated. I met the old man. He gave me the Gundam. <laughs> he told me to target, target Oz facilities. Well, it's definitely uh, like it, 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 it was frustrating again because this was the opportunity for someone to be like, I work for Dr. K. And it's like, oh, yeah, my guy's name is Dr. Steve. Yeah. And, you know, fucking actually come up with some idea of who these boys are. Like, it, it really, like, uh, it, 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 other than characterizations, other than choices, we don't know anything about our main characters yet in a way that is, like, other than Relina, who is the best main character, it's it's really frustrating in, in a way that, like, uh, I would call inept, right? Like, it's inept to, to, to assume that your audience is going to be invested for this long mm-hmm. place purely yeah, yeah, yeah. on the aesthetics of robots, you know, um, but yeah, so they talk. We have that conversation. Uh, revenge for disrupting the colonies is what Duo says. I wish we had seen that disruption. It would have been nice. Yep. Yeah, it would have helped us uh, situate the flow of things much, much better. Uh, same word for word orders, but nothing about the other Gundams. So they received the same word for word initial thing, but none of them said, oh, by the way, there are four other boys. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it's, I mean, to me, what, the, what the script is preoccupied with is foreshadowing things, but the problem is, is that you have, you have, like, severely weakened the, your narrative in order to withhold mysteries, right. and that's just, it's not presented in a way that, that I think creates suspense. Yeah, it creates a more, it just creates a commercial value to the show, as if, mm-hmm. here's the show to sell toys, that's all. Yeah. Okay, yeah, no one uses the word fans in the original <laughs> script. Says we all support her. That's it. Yep. Well, that's a fucking, yep. that's a yeah. That's fucking it. Better line. Right. It's just the yeah. It's fucking a. Um, right. So okay. So then um, we uh, we some Oz boys show up in the Maguanak town and they're like, hey, can we get some food and water? And also, do you mind if we post guards fucking everywhere? <laughs> <laughs> and while we're posting these guards fucking everywhere, we're gonna surreptitiously plant some bombs around your village. Oh, you know what? One thing uh, in regards to the the Catcher and Duo conversation. Oh, yeah. It seems to me like the most important plot point about the sort of political status of the Middle Eastern nations Mm. is this idea that they are a unified block. Yeah. And Duo is really becomes fixated at that point. And I have to imagine that the show is presenting that as a contrast to the political organization of the colonies, which appears to be very fractured. Well, that is mm. even something that Duo says yes. when they're leaving. It's like when we come back, we'll have the the, the thoughts of the colonies will be unified right, with right. us. Exactly. Um, and like it makes me go like, well, and we kind of knew this, right? We kind of knew that the Gundam pilots were acting extrajudicially from the the colonies. Yeah. Although the according to the narration, the retaliatory intentions of the the Gundam pilots reflected the will of the colonies. So, I don't know. Um, uh, but yes, it's worth pointing out that it seems like yeah, 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 Duo yeah. is is very interested in... He even has a line he talks about, or um, Catra says, like, oh, we're... Not only are we unified, but we understand our soldiers to be heroes. And I think he says, that's why we're so positive, I think is the fucking line that he has. <laughs> and it's like, oh... <laughs> Okay, yes. we're just a real posy place. Yeah, no, we're just uh, <laughs> positive vibes only, please. Yeah, exactly. Um, Otherwise, you will sicken my soul of outer space. Uh, so, uh, you know, the um, Lenny or 
what's the other Simpsons? Carl. Carl or Lenny uh, informs Rashid that the because the Oz soldiers are not subtle about this. no no they really are not <laughs> like it is not really a a stealthy operation and they they're informed like oh they've got bombs here and they're 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 rigged to go off at midnight and they talk about uh you know they 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 seem to want a night battle and it's like well yeah and it's like they've been watching us for a while okay so which i want to get a, a, a heat check here which set of lines is more conflicting episode one where zex says uh, machine gun. Don't use the machine guns. Uh-huh. Shoot them down. Or when Duo says, I can't help them now, but I want to do something. And then proceeds to help it's them. It's the same fucking thing. <laughs> yeah. It's like the same goddamn situation, actually. And, it, and it, like, if... It, it's it's a really weird line, because all you'd have to say instead is, like, I, I, I can't help it. I have to do something. And then show him doing something. Right, right. Instead of saying, I can't help, and then watching him explicitly help that seems helpful yeah it, you know i well, i don't well because it seems like after that you know not to cut ahead because i want to talk about um rashid's um rousing speech oh yeah 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 because yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. um, rashid has a rousing speech about i mean so i got the gist of it the speech itself is terrible yes it's a bad speech it's gun away <laughs> my boy rashid does not give this is not an aragorn does, charging the black yeah, situation not the not the <laughs> gift of the silver tongue no but I understood the gist of what he was saying, which is that, you know, like we live in, you know, uh, a time of peace comparatively and we've been trying to fight against Oz and these Gundam pilots will eventually be the the, the tipping point here. Mm-hmm. And if yeah. we support yeah. them now, their victory will benefit us. Um, I, I did like his last line about, um, you know, you should be thankful at this opportunity to extend your, your goodwill before they help us. There's something very, like, again, I don't want to get personal. There's something that rang very honestly, like, Arabic about that. Mm-hmm. There's something, like, I have a hard time explaining the specifics of that, but... I'm curious if Gundam Wing came out post-9-11, because viewing it through the lens of post-9-11, how that might have changed. I mean, so... Well, I got- mean, we know it started airing... The, I mean, the I imagine most of the localization would have been done pre-9-11, because we watched this show in oh, I think all of spring it was, yeah. of 2000. Yeah. yeah. So I think all the localization... Is pre nine eleven, mm-hmm. right? I'm curious how the show would have handled this if it came out in two thousand and I don't know eleven. For example. If it came out even one year later, it it, it might have been a, like something. Like yeah. I, 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 there was okay. not even talking about the translation either. I'm just talking about the straight source material. So here's a, a small anecdotal story, um, not about Gundam Wing, but but similar vein. Um, uh, you two are probably familiar with Full Metal Alchemist. Yeah. Um, Full Metal Alchemist involves ah, yes. a population True. of people called the Ishvalans. And the Ishvalans are similarly coded in the way that the, the Maguanak Corps are coded. One time, I was watching an episode of the television show, Full, Full Metal Alchemist. Uh, and this was when Full That's Metal the Al- first show, not the Brotherhood? Not Brotherhood, okay. yes. The yeah. initial run of Full Metal Alchemist. Um, and uh, this was in its run on Toonami. So this was some years back. I, I, fucking ballpark 2006 or seven, something like that. I don't fucking know. Uh, it was a midnight run episode. I remember specifically watching something previously with my mother who was asleep on the couch behind me. Um, and I was watching anime because now she was asleep and I was like, yes, yes anime time. Anime time. Um, <laughs> just like every everyone in my age at the time. Um, and this was one of the episodes getting into Scar's backstory. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. explaining part of what happened to the Ishvalans. Um, Silver hair, right? 
Yes, Scar is one of the primary antagonists. My mother, who I didn't realize was behind me and awake, was watching along with me. And uh, she is very sensitive to portrayals of uh, Arabic or Middle Eastern or uh, Arabian or Middle Eastern peoples in media. Um, and her and she said, and I quote, "What is this shit?" <laughs> and I, and that sort of feeling with regards to uh, a, a representation of uh, a minority group is hard for me to ignore when I'm looking at any of these pictures. Mm-hmm. And, like, to be completely brutally honest, like, the Ishvalans aren't the, the most perfect example, be- largely because they exist to be fridged for the most part. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but the, the Maguanak core and the Maguanak village, other than containing, like, broad strokes that I would call shitty, they're at least heroic. They're at least portrayed as as good people trying to do what's best for them. I mean, I think we're missing a lot of context. Sure. I think there's a lot of questions about a a wealthy. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I asked too about the Winter family. Yeah, is that uh... oh, or is this like a Tony Stark situation? Well, it's just I, you know I'm thinking in terms of you know in for a show that was uh, written originally in the mid 90s and then localized in the 2000s uh, uh, you know what would have been the sort of lazy signifiers that have been relied on and if, and if i had to guess i would say it was typically uh, wealth derived from natural resources right, right? from oil or from yes, oil is yeah, the, yeah the, the, the big one yeah, yeah so uh, you know that's one of the things i was thinking because i think what you just said is right that what we see is independence from the alliance their own suits, right. their own their own deal, uh, and then you know. But we again, what you said is that whether for laziness or it's withheld from us intentionally, right. we don't know what the foundation of that power is of that independence. Right. I wanted to comment here. Uh, Duo's hair is very long. This is something that is is like extremely clear all the time because we don't get to see a full. And sometimes he's wearing his hat, and sometimes he has it like really. Like like uh, like the like a thin ponytail that's long, and this time we see his like he's let it out like a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so the some of the dancers we saw with uh, Lenny and Carl show up and give him some flowers, and and I really I really would encourage our audience to listen close to his reaction, um, because I've never heard a man more is it plussed or nonplussed when you're when you don't have a strong reaction. I get this fucked up all the time. I say nonplussed when I really mean nonplussed. I, yeah, he is. He for me. Wow. It's, it's well, like, but then but then he's very excited to give flowers he, to catch. He loves regifting. I yeah. believe you were the one that who pointed was, out. Yeah, that he, he is. Duo um, Duo is the regifter of the Gundam boys. <laughs> yeah. He's definitely like, hey man, check out these flowers I got um, for you. Uh, I enjoyed when uh, they uh, after completing. So we see uh, the the Oz soldiers attempt to move in on the Magonok village. The Magonoks, having seen this plan ahead of time, have already begun the process of uh, uh, evacuating their citizenry, uh, and and they keep referencing the to like mountains or hills. And there's a point where Lenny or Carl um, says that they are going to run to the hills, and 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 I said, well, were you going to run for your life? Run for your so this is when I get to my next note. Um, well, my second and next note, because my next note was the Magwanox rule. Yeah. Um, no, which they're, I, they're, now, 
this is the political organization I want to follow. This yeah. is who these are my heroes. Just re- re- rewrite it, Gundam Wing. Just have it be about how dope the Magwanox are. Even someone like Abdul, for example, he has more na- characterization for me, and he I don't know if he even speaks yet. <laughs> Then every single, for the most part, every single character in Gundam Wing. A few things I wanted to know, too. So there's 40 Magwanox soldiers. Uh-huh. They each have their numeral on their shields. Mm-hmm. And I looked it up. I'm, I'm not an expert, of course, but 40 is a significant number in the Quran, apparently. Oh, yes. So I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, I mean, 40, part. I think, also going back through various religious traditions. Because there's 40 shows up in the, in the Bible Old Testament as well, as well yes, right? It does. Yeah. Well, yeah, you'll get crossover there when yeah. it comes oh, to oh, Old oh, Testament. Right, the, exactly. Yeah, that, that's why That's why I said, you know, going back through various traditions. Right. right? 40 is always kind I of I thought that up. was a nice touch on the part of the creators. Yeah, the numerology, which this isn't, but kind of is. Comes numerology into- in Gundam Wing? Ignis? <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that the names, uh, you know, Uno, Un, and fuck, Duo? Fuck. Shit. <laughs> well, God, until you reminded me. God damn it. All I was going to say was that. Um, Sorry. It, no, no, I'm just kidding. Um, most, uh, many, uh, like, like mainstream anime plays with numbers as being significant. Um, repeating numbers, especially four, four is, is uh, in this case, obviously not. They're referencing something else. But four is a death number. You know, yeah. especially when it's repeating, uh, four, four, four repeating is mm. a common sort of like obviously yeah, four, four to the floor means you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> what I was going to say was <laughs> um, in, in the Western uh, Judeo-Christian uh, uh, tradition, when we think of bad numbers repeating, we're thinking of six, six, six or six, one, six. Apparently that b- either of those could be. Oh, I've never I, heard of six one six. I yeah, I believe. Reminds so in the Simpsons quote with the Stonecutters episode. Not nine one one. Call nine one two. That's the real number. That's <laughs> the real number. Despite despite being an expert on Xenogears, I am not actually a Bible scholar. So <laughs> I can't really help you with regards to the number of the beast thing there. So um, this is where I have my note. I can't help, so I'll help. Yeah, so yeah. I'll jeopardize the mission to help. <laughs> so we we had mentioned earlier how cool the Magonok suits are, uh, and I think I I had sort of thought of the the the, the large hover ones as just sort of being like. Uh, actually, I kind of like the way you had put it. I think before, which was the the MC Hammer Pants yeah, uh, suits. Totally. Apparently, they are called, and you look this up. So I'm crediting you. Mm-hmm. The Oliphant suits. Yeah, the the hover tanks are <laughs> called Oliphants, and look, Mister Frodo. It's an Ollie fun. <laughs> I thought they were. I, I didn't. This. I wasn't fully committed to the design until the, I actually saw them in combat. Yeah, like, no, yes. that's what that's what sold it. For I thought me. they were a yeah. little mm, silly, but then yes, well, when they got on the battlefield. Another thing that I think is like it's interesting how much more entertaining this battle is, and I think it's because I mean one because they've set up stakes, which also, is that, I'm rooting for people. <laughs> well, that's that's what I mean. They've set up stakes, yeah. like like Rashid. Like speech, these guys can be destroyed, right? Exactly, and we right, see, we see a suit destroyed in the way that we. Well, I think in a previous pod, maybe we had discussed the idea, uh, and, and Austin Walker had brought up this idea as well in his uh, talking that a part of Mecca is the damage that suits take, and seeing none of the main Gundams take damage had interfered with our ability to to sort of relate and root and enjoy suspense and those elements. And to see this conflict where you see the the hover suit fall apart and careen into the, the enemy suit and 
I mean, it was just fun in a way that we had been lacking. Plus, they're quantified. There are only 40 of them. You don't want to stand these boys die. Right. And that, that visual detail really helps land that. Mm. It's, it's, it's interesting to see the Oliphants come into contact with the Flying Purple People Eaters. Um, it was fun to watch. The firing squad shot was great. This the the unloading. Yes. Um, uh, and, and then at the end of the battle, I appreciated the touch of a Gundam or a mech-sized flashbang. Um, which I imagine must be a massive health risk for... I, I assumed that they just had like a big projector that was playing that Decepticon dance party <laughs> gift. Because right. that's what I really thought that was. I, there's no other way that something would generate that visual pattern. <laughs> oh, man. I would really love to see the, the edited image of that where it's yeah. that big flash and you just see all like, the... They're, Whoa, they're, they're waving their arms around, you know. Because, like, not to get off track, but they have, like, a rage virus in that. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, yeah. like, poisoned Enetron or something, mm. I thought. Right. Or, yeah. I don't know. They're pink yeah. and they're raven. That's right. what's going yeah. on. That's <laughs> relatable content. <laughs> um, so, um, Troa, fucking A. Catra and Duo get away, um, despite Duo's best efforts. And we then cut to Relina, who is still in the process of escaping from the Shindig. And uh, she gets captured. Uh, but she's still fucking packing, so she's ready. Yeah, yeah. E- except, you know, like a crew of like one of the things that I think probably should happen a lot of times when someone has a gun is like a crew of like four people run up and just kind of like right. I mean, stop her. You, <laughs> like, you know, that's what soldiers should would probably do. Right. You need to take this person alive and just, you just bum rush her. Yeah, run up and rugby tackle her, yeah. which is what they end up doing. Um, I do like the um the Leos there, although um, I, I thought the purple ones were for space. I guess not. Maybe maybe purple ones are like urban ones. Yes, yeah. I don't know. Uh, and so she's captured by some Oz nobodies who are gonna, I guess, take her away or execute yeah. her. I don't know who, who knows, right? And when a mysterious figure, my fan fiction's coming true here on a motorcycle. I, they're, gonna, they're gonna put her in an upstairs room with a window so On can throw a bomb in again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what they're gonna do. That's the was the execution plan. Yeah. Um, and Noin shows up. And uh, she orders the Oz suits to let go of Relina. And the Oz suits are like, well, Lady Un told us to capture this girl. And Noin headshots one of them. Yeah. Do you understand that she shoots off someone's hat and then says, this comes from the top? Oh, oh my not. God, I did not. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Noin is the best. Like, like, if anyone comes out on top in these two stretches of episodes, yeah. it's definitely Noin. No, like, yeah. Noin finally gets one. I adore Noin in the show. Yeah, no. she's really cool. Um, So she, she shoots that guy. Okay, I don't know guns. Mm-hmm. I don't know marksmanship. Yeah. How did she do that? What did she... How did she do that? Did she shoot like the toppest brim of the hat? And yeah, and that, I, or I mean, or is this a shishio situation? And every odd soldier has an iron plate on their yeah, forehead. Yeah. To, well, to if prevent- you remember later in the scene when I remember thera- thematically like the rose. Yeah, Relina, Relina is like, hey. Aren't you Oz? Like, why, why, why are you helping me? And then Noin shoots the emblem off the fallen hat. Yeah, uh, and the hat doesn't move. No, not even a little <laughs> bit. The emblem just falls off, which is like okay, sure. So, so I think th- that moment is meant to signify where Noin's like true allegiances lie, which is with Zex. But I think I my canon my <laughs> was more. That she just really hates the graphic designer for Oz yeah, yeah. and hates that lion. Well, I think what's what's cool about it, I think you are right that Noin's allegiance is to Zex primarily. Right. 
But I also think that she is authorized to do this by Trace yeah. because Trace's primary allegiance is to the romanticized spectacle of war. Right. And he has to keep enabling Zex. Like Trace is just like rolling up his sleeve, prepping his his you know, his his veins and says, you know, I need more of this Zex plot line. Right. Just put it straight into me, you know. <laughs> I do also want to point out that none of those men who rugby rugby tackled Relina took her gun. She still got it. Oh yeah, when, yeah, yeah. When yeah. Noin uh, gets those guys to leave, she points that gun directly at Noin. And uh, so we now we we get here, and and it's fair to say that Noin is not as into Oz. It seems like, yeah, or, yeah. or at least that's what she. Noin, is. Noin has expressed, I think, reservations as, as much as she uh, sub- subor- uh, uh Puts those to the side in favor of doing whatever. I think once wants. she realized how bloody the coup was, that's when she started to turn. I think it's when she got slapped. I think when Lady Un slapped, she's like, "Fuck this! Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not into this anymore." And I think that's it for whereabouts of uh, right. Whereabouts right, right. of uh, 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 hope is the name of that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah that yeah, song. Yeah. Um, so I mean, you know, without we're gonna move into our our famous segment in a second. Mm-hmm. But before we do that, what did What's your guys' temperature on this stretch? I know we talked before about uh, 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 enjoying it, but now that we've hashed it out, what do you think? This is uh, an improvement on last week. Yeah, definitely, definitely improvement. I I think the the biggest thing I wanted to try and take away from from these episodes, especially as we're getting further in, I know we have expressed concern and frustration over trying to gauge whether or not these characters have an arc, especially our main set of characters. Uh, I feel like. Hero, who kind of takes center stage in episode 10. No. No. And then in episode 11, I would say that we spend uh, the part of episode 11 learning about primarily uh, Katra and Relina. And I think with Katra, we mostly get exposition. Mm -hmm. Katra has not changed in the course of the series. So that really leaves us with just our actual protagonist, Relina. Abdul. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, I mean, I wish. Uh, and Relina, I think here, do you feel like we have seen development in Relina at this point? I would, yeah. I would argue so. Yeah. I was a little down on Relina in the beginning of the show just because, like I said, she's a satellite that revolves around Hero. And right. I, I didn't buy the initial attract. I mean, I bought, bought the attraction, but the the hoops she went through to follow Hero, I didn't really, they didn't really land well with me. Now, though, she's exercising agency. I'm digging it. I think that there is a young adult novel sort of feel to this entire show. Yeah. I think that it it exists in this sort of logic that, to be honest, reminds me mostly of Super Sentai. Like, uh, especially Zex and Trey's, their logic is that of Super Sentai villains where the there is a... a like an, a goal of image that is more important yeah. than a pragmatic goal. And that hurts the show, too, because the it show does. is positioning itself as real robot. You're right, exactly. And that tension sucks. Well, if it, it leaned into... It, it should just lean into super robots. It should. The, the show would be much better. The show would then become something like... Something... No, I didn't want to say it, but it would be something else. No, I agree. I think that's exactly right, which is that the, the, the friction that we are experiencing as audience members who are like savvy like that's that's the thing as a teenager when you're not like listening like obviously you're watching but when you're not paying attention to what is literally happening it's much it's very easy to enjoy um but when you're actually taking in what's what's being said it's impossible to ignore that it has a severe identity crisis yeah 
Um, I like these episodes, too. Episode 11 was the first time where I felt the show. So the first 10 episodes, I would describe the show as very loud. Lots of posturing, lots of run-and-gun shooting. Episode 11 is the first episode I I kind of relish these quiet moments. I'll give you two other examples from very popular television anime. Uh, Cowboy Bebop has a lot of quiet moments. It's mostly quiet. Which I adore. Mm Mm-hmm. I remember specifically, I mean, there's like Jet looking out across the ocean, for example, but also there's a lot of great early morning shots of just ordinary people waking up and going through their ordinary routine, which speaks a lot to me. And then even Galleon, which uh, Shinji waking up in the bed, for example, looking at the unfamiliar right. ceiling, really speaks to me. And this show, specifically when it's the Magwanox traveling through the desert or Catra and Duo talking I really appreciate those quiet moments, and I felt there was some actual world building here. Right. Even though some of it's problematic, compare that to the Sank Kingdom, for example, which really is a non-entity. Right. Yeah. It's- and I think even, you know, you're focusing on episode 11, but I think the the bit with, we've seen Duo and Hero interact in their contexts, but Duo and Hero in Hero's bedroom receiving orders That's is true, like yeah. the most important Duo and Hero scene that we've gotten so That's far. You know? Yeah. Right. And and so with ten and eleven, I'm starting to feel more like there is a better understanding behind the scenes of what the show is actually trying to be. Whereas before, it it just felt like a a delivery device for um, a checklist of things that have been useful or popular in previous Gundam properties. Right? Like you know, when when we started this project, we talked about how they intended on combining the elements of. Uh, Double Zeta, G Gundam, and the original series. Mm-hmm. And like we can see this happening now, and this soup is not tasty right now. <laughs> like the ratio of these ingredients are not coming together. <laughs> it's not bad. It's edible. You know, it's food, but it's it's like it, it, dropping off for, or or doing this show immediately after War in the Pocket. Uh, uh, our uh, watches of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our watch of War in the Pocket was like stunning it is incredible how much that we are forced to talk about literally what's happening on the show and not what it's about that's that's something that is a a real struggle for me even though i'm enjoying myself i wish we could be talking about substance and not just trying to figure out what's happening in front of our eyes yeah like it's it's a real but it's you know it's fun at least yeah Yeah. and i think it's as we go on be, just by sheer nature of there being more of the episodes that we've consumed. I mean, I think from the, today's discussion, you can see that even if maybe it's not intentional, we as readers of the text are still putting things together. Oh, there's still stuff to take away. Right. 100%. Yeah. So for, on that note, why don't we, why don't we uh, you know, reach out to some of our loved ones yeah. and, and see what they think mechs are called. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So uh, I'll go ahead. Uh, this week we're going to lead off with the uh, the mythological Ford Tauruses, uh, and my partner really latched on to the the uh, hot pink spikes mm-hmm. coming out from the Taurus. Yeah, and she dubbed it the funky '80s robot, oh. Oh, okay. which I appreciated. Uh, not necessarily the the most military uh, uh, focused of names, but neither is Taurus. That's true. Uh, my wife said Spike like a dog. <laughs> Period. Spike like a dog. Yeah, no, fair enough. Fair. Well, no, Spike. Spike's the name, and then yeah. in parentheses, like right, a dog. Yeah, right, totally. Right, right. Totally. Uh, don't say this three times. Uh, but uh, my partner said Beetlejuice. Oh, <laughs> all right. Did 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 she? I'm not looking. Normally, I don't interrogate these too much. Did she? 
Why though? I guess it's, like, I I why well, I, I had forgotten to uh, collect it while we were together. So I but, but the problem is of what I've seen, we don't have any moving footage. So I just sent the, uh, like a screen cap. Sure. Of, the the Taurus and the loader from episode four because uh-huh. that's the only thing I think of of what I had seen right because mm-hmm. that's why I, I made the comment earlier about the Leos in the intro because it's like oh I'll just send her a clip of the Tauruses moving around in the intro I'm like wait a second oh, they're not here they're not Tauruses oh oopsie yeah right <laughs> uh, so, yeah so I mean uh, I, I think. Um, uh, uh, I think all of those are good. I think I kind of like Spike the best. I think yeah, no, Spike, Spike is Spike about like right. Yeah, from now yeah, on. yeah. Uh, and then I think we collected the name for the uh, the Magwanok Troop Max, um, which I don't know if they. Well, have we a... specifically singled out Rashid's, which is the number one. We did, and yeah. that was because the the rest of them largely look the same. Yeah. But Rashid's has a, a fun little right. wing or fin uh, signifier. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't we trilogy? Do you want to leave yeah. off? We'll just go backwards. So uh, I got I got two possible suggestions here uh, from my partner. One was Stone Spartan. Oh. All right. And then the other was Rocky the Cockatoo. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, I see now why yeah. you, you wanted to mention the wing flip. Right, right. Um, yeah, that was relevant. Yeah. Yeah, piggybacking off that, she picked up on the, it kind of looks like a falcon, she said. So, Falcotron. Okay. Falcatron. The Falcatron right. 9000. I yeah. like that a lot. Yeah. The Mega Man X set boss. Right. Yeah, Falcatron. So, I. I uh, I'm sorry. This is the very, very first time I'll have to make a cope with this one because she couldn't come up with anything. For oh, no. She, she really thought it was boring. She did not like the design oh, at all. My favorite mech. No, well, I, one of my favorite mechs. Well, in here, so in Gundam Wing. I think so. I think what this demonstrates, and this is something that I was concerned about when it comes to this feature, which I love, to be honest. Yes. Um, which is that when you when you start getting into the designs that are less bombastic. There are less signifiers for those who aren't True. as into the genre to latch on to and come up with something. Right. Like, right. like she, there was just nothing for her to like afterwards when I told her, you know, that this, these are the guys that work with Catra and they all kind of look like mass produced versions of the Sandrock. She was able to pick that up after I mentioned it, but just looking at it, she had no idea because it looked too generic. Right. You know? Right. Which is fair. I think, I mean, I love these guys. Oh yeah. The Magronox yeah. look great. So now, uh, you know, uh, I think that'll bring us to a wrap, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, next time, we will be discussing episodes uh, 12 and 13. 12 and 13. We'll repeat this uh, two-episode pod uh, as we go forward and finish the uh, first half of our uh, coverage of the, the first season of Gundam Wing, right? That's right. That's, a season is 26 episodes. I'm not... Stepping on my... I'd have to check our schedule, okay. but I think that's correct. All right. All um, right. I, I just want to make sure. I I, I always tend to... Ref- I don't know if they yeah. actually split the episodes when they aired them. I'm not right. sure. It might have been somewhat yeah. consecutive. I, know if they, I don't know officially if they took a break right. between right. 26 between, and 27. There was yeah. certainly production changes. Right. There are changes in how the production went. Yeah. So next week, you'll hear us talk about 12 and 13. Uh, anything else you guys wanted to say before we sign off here? No, no, I just I, hope uh, keeps on this upswing. Yes, yeah, no, I no I, exactly. I definitely, definitely hope. Well, uh, that's you know, that's like we always say, uh, tall geese, short ribs. <laughs>